Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Ah, yes, continuing from where we left off yesterday, I suppose. Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg with no Pinder or Steinberg. It's Peter Klein, Logan Gordon, and Riley Pollock with you on a dreary, yucky, rainy, gross day, uh, at least here in just outside of downtown Calgary. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Uh, doing well, despite all this uh, this rain. It's been a wet summer so far. I, I don't really know if I how I feel about it. I know Riley's disappointed because his uh, slow pitch game got uh, knocked off the schedule. But uh, other than that, I think it's, it's been all right. Riley, you're doing okay despite your, your night changing on your birthday? Yeah, it's all right. I'll just go to Earl's and drink a bunch of happy hour drinks instead. So we'll be okay. There you go. That's, yes, happy that's birthday to Riley. Yeah, give yourself a round of applause there, Riley. Oh, you guys. If I Come can on. find the crowd applause. Yeah, no. Oh, man. Another year. You guys are too kind. It concerns me that the show is so bad that you've forgotten where the applause button is. Like, we've had so few applause-worthy things. Well, I feel like, the, ap- I feel like the applause was, like, red or yellow before. Now it's gray, so it just doesn't catch your eye on the page anymore. Ooh. Gray on the page is a, uh, a bit of a tricky one because yeah. you just assume gray is like out, right? Yeah. So yeah, gray's gray's a little inside baseball. Welcome to the show, everyone. We'll talk <laughs> about actual things, maybe. Um, can we change those? Do we know how to change the color on those? Yeah, I'm the one that did all yeah, that. Yeah, lo- logo's got to do that. That's way past my pay grade. I I do uh, okay. not mess around with the hotkeys pages at all. I let Logan handle th- that situation. I was proud of myself to learn like how to put things on it and stuff like that, but that was that was the extent of it. That was that uh, beyond that. I, I don't know how to color code anything, so it's I, I'm glad we have logo there to, to help out with that. Yeah, I'll I'll get around to it one of these days. I'll just make a, a note fix applause button to different color or something like that. And so Riley, I'll see what we can it. do. Well, one of these days when I find myself back at our downtown studio. So well, um. Hopefully soon. I mean, you've been back there a little bit, obviously, producing and, and whatnot. But now on the, the hosting side of things, not so much. Maybe one day we'll all be back in studio once again. And a way that would help that is if the NHL were to come back. And we are getting closer to finding out where the NHL could be coming back. We are down to, uh, according to reports, down to four candidates for Hub Cities. Uh, that would be Toronto, Edmonton, Chicago, and Las Vegas. I would suggest Toronto and Edmonton are the only logical spots based on what's going on just a bit south of us. But uh, my money would be on Toronto and Vegas. Uh, Logo, do you have a preference or a prediction on this? Uh, I think preference-wise, you you have to think if safety is the priority that Edmonton and Toronto top the list out and and not to mention with a, a Canadian dollar being, you know, significantly hurt through all of this. Speaking from a, an, an economic standpoint, you know, the NHL has talked about in these bubbles, you know, having a couple restaurants, at least a couple hotels, you know, some sort of small entertainment stuff for the players to help, you know, keep them entertained through what could be, you know, a couple months in a, in a bubble type situation. So there's... A, I'd say a decent economic impact to having it in one of these cities too. So I wouldn't mind seeing some of that money being spent in, in Canadian cities. I do wonder uh, as we see more and more delays 
with the Toronto Blue Jays situation and how Major League Baseball is planning on having them handle travel and that sort of stuff. I wonder how uh, negotiations are going with Ontario in, in that regard because it feels like Toronto would be a, a slam dunk for that, but maybe their health system just isn't okay with how the NHL wants to handle it. I, I do think uh, Edmonton is becoming more and more forward as things you know progressively get worse in Vegas. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, the fact that we're down to four means that we're we're very, very close to actual dates and schedules and that sort of stuff. And I would say that Toronto and Edmonton should be the front runners, at least for me, going forward. Yeah, and, and I, I understand like wanting one in the East and one in the West, uh, people getting concerned that there would be some kind of home ice advantage. I think that is overthinking things tremendously. Um, mm-hmm. I, I get like... You would be familiar with the locker room, but after like three days, that kind of goes away. Like there's nothing, there isn't going to be anything normal. It's not like the home team gets to go home. Everyone's going to be in this bubble as far as I understand anyway. So I think any semblance of home ice advantage, I don't even think the team's logo is going to be painted on the ice. I would assume it would be some form of NHL logo. So I think any kind of home ice advantage, that conversation can kick rocks. Yeah, and, and to be honest, we're talking about a made-for-TV thing. We're not talking about fans here anyways. To have an Eastern and a Western time zone through all of this just makes more sense from an NHL standpoint when they're trying to get as many viewers in as possible. You don't want the you know your premier teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Boston Bruins, all those sort of teams playing in time zones that just don't work for their fans to watch them. Uh, you want to get as many eyes to the TVs for these events as you possibly can. I think they'll be big numbers regardless, but don't put yourself in a position you know, to, to mess around with fans being able to watch it at a reasonable time and a time that they're, they're used to through all of this. So I, I, I agree the, the home, advan- home ice advantage things isn't relevant. If you were you know home ice advantage, you'd be staying in your home or your condo or wherever, not in a, a hotel with the rest of your teammates as this thing goes on. So you might know a few things more than anybody else, but other than that, it's it's not going to be much difference for anybody else. So it, it just happens that it's going to be Edmonton and Toronto because they're the safest and most viable for these tournaments to be played. And uh, hearing reports, and I, I don't know how viable these are. We are in Calgary. It's easy to take pot shots at Edmonton. A lot of times they give us a lot of ammunition, but the the suggestion that players don't want to go to Edmonton because it's Edmonton, <laughs> I don't get that. Like you're gonna be from the hotel to the rink, you know. Like th- there's only mm-hmm. so much variance. I understand. Like being in a bubble in Vegas would be pretty dope. Like if you could go to some of the the restaurants they have attached to the hotels that are are close to. Uh, that are close to the arena and things of that nature, that would be pretty sweet. Aside from that, I, I haven't been to all of the team hotels. I'm going to guess there isn't a wide variance from one to the other. You're going from hotel to rink to hotel to rink to maybe a couple restaurants. I don't think it matters uh, what the extracurricular life could be like in, in one of these spots. I, I think you really just have to focus on what's going to be safest. No, and, and I mean, look, they're going to regardless of where it is they're gonna you know it's not like they're gonna just be like oh well you guys have access to mcdonald's and 
A&W or that's it. You know, I'm pretty sure if they're going to put a couple restaurants in the bubble and all that sort of stuff, that they'll have a pretty good you know, selection of restaurants. Is it Edmonton? Sure. Maybe the restaurants in Vegas significantly better? Yeah, maybe. But, you know, it's, it's very minimal things at this point anyways. They're still going to try to give you the best experience that they can while you're there. And you know what? Yes, as much fun as it is to poke fun at Edmonton and we bother and all that stuff, Edmonton in July and August and September is still significantly better than Edmonton in December or January or anything else like that. You know, then you're really talking about, you know, crappy temperatures and not a lot of fun to be there. At least you're there in the summer, the trees are green, everything else like that. You know, it, there's worse places to be. Yeah, exactly. Like, and not to mention I, I just, the brand new arena. Yeah, with, with a hotel like attached to it. And mm -hmm. again, brand new hotel too. It's not like they're staying in the place that Matty Rose, uh, Matty Rose stayed at for the Grey Cup. Like it's you're going to yeah. be in probably pretty good accommodations. So it's just there, there's a whole lot to these discussions that I, I feel is just like why do you care? Like what? As long as you're going to be safe. Who cares if you're going to be spending three months in Edmonton or three months in Chicago? Spoiler alert, if you're worried about what life is going to be like um, in those places, maybe you aren't going to be there anyway that long. Most of you are only going to be there for mm -hmm. a couple of weeks. And if you're so focused on what the yep. hotel is going to be like, I'm going to suggest you're probably going to be in that few week category. So, And it's just the main focus of every one of these return to sports conversations needs to be, can we do this safely? Anything that you're worried about beyond that is really stuff you shouldn't be worrying about. I understand there is a certain lifestyle that comes with being a National Hockey League player, but things are a little different right now, and the most important lifestyle aspect of anything should be get them safe. Yeah, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as uh, the actual time there. Like, when we talk about a, a bubble situation, and this will be something that we talked to Chris Johnson about in the next our segment, our NHL Insider, is... There's only going to be a few teams, you know, that are really there for a couple months. And at that point, you're going to be dialed in on a Western or an Eastern Conference final. And then you may have to travel to the other hub city for the Stanley Cup final, depending on how that all works out at the end of it. So there might be some travel mixed in there. And, you know, you're only going to be there at the end. If you're very close to a Stanley Cup, which I would say for most of these guys is pretty important and something that they'd be willing to stay in a hotel for a few weeks to get to that point. So the complaining and the, oh, it's you know going to be so hard to you know stay in a hotel. If you're there for that long, good things are probably happening to you and you probably won't mind. Yeah, exactly. Like you're, you're there to do a job, you know, and... Again, th there are going to be certain aspects of this. Like, you can't just be focused on NHL all the time. There does have to be at least some form of, of extra life beyond that. And I get that. But it's just, I don't know. I, I find the whole conversation weird. But with this, and with it being empty arenas, regardless of what the arena is, 
this is going to look a lot different on TV and sound a lot different on the radio than what we are used to. Uh, is there, and we'll bring Riley into this conversation, uh, someone who I, I believe enjoys what the kids call CHELL, which is just the most annoying <laughs> abbreviation anything can ever give, uh, aside from the stupid DERS thing that Riley also calls the writers. But I digress. Um, yeah, that, that apparently I feel passionately about that. I didn't even know that was coming. But anyway... Um, as far as what these games look like, what are some changes or some creative measures that you would like to see some of the TV broadcasts come? Well, we'll start with Riley. I mean, it's not going to happen because players don't want it, but the mic'd up thing would be unbelievable. If, you ha if like, two or three players on each team were mic'd up, that would be sweet, but it's not going to happen. Um, I don't know. I, like, I think you just kind of keep the game the same, in my opinion. Are they going to use that puck tracking technology that they were on pace to use for playoffs this year? I mean, that would be kind of sweet, but maybe they've gone away from that because of all of this COVID stuff. So maybe some of that technology, and uh, that's I'm good. I'm easy. I just want to see some hockey. That's fair, and I think that's going to be the reaction from a lot of people is just get this thing out on the ice. And you're not going to have, like, the... Uh, oh, why am I blanking on the the weird puck tail thing, the light up puck that you had from Fox Sports broadcast back in the day and stuff like that. You're not going to have that stuff, but I would love to see them get creative with camera angles. I would love to see them try to have that because you don't need the jumbotron down for I think pretty obvious reasons. You can have um, you can have a, a roving camera that is over the top that makes this thing look like NHL two thousand or uh, NHL twenty. I think there are ways you can get creative with this logo. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm big on the camera angle thing because uh, the NHL is one of those leagues that, you know, is very specific. It's almost like basketball, too. They're kind of restricted in where they can place cameras and uh, what they can do with shots because you don't want to be obstructing fans, especially fans that are paying really good money for, you know, good sight lines uh, for games. You don't want to piss them off by having a camera in the way of their shot the whole time. So uh, this is a really good chance for them to try out some different things. So I think that I'm with you on the camera thing. Uh, I know, Raleigh, you mentioned the, the players being mic'd up, and I, I'm with you. I don't think it'll happen. I do think we'll get more of that uh, aspect. I think we are going to wind up hearing more of what the players say and a little bit more of that chit-chat, just regardless, because we have empty arenas and that sort of thing. Uh, I'd be interested to see, I, the one thing I do like, and it's, I guess you could do it in hockey, I don't see why you couldn't, uh, the NLL plays music uh, during play, and I don't know why you couldn't do that uh, for the NHL, maybe there's a copyright thing to it or something like that, but, you know, get some uh, music going, get some atmosphere going while the, the game is on, it's not like you you got fans to worry about in the building, so I would like to see see them try some new stuff with this though there's no better time than now yeah i, I like the music thing like you, you watch a lacrosse game and that's a big part of the atmosphere and uh an nba game as well having been to a couple of those it's a lot of fun <laughs> well when you get the the music going the whole time and, and when things yeah it's it just it adds to the atmosphere and when you don't have crowds involved necessarily I, I think it's a, a good time to, to mess around with that. As far as the mic stuff goes, I don't think we're ever going to get that because trash talk, like there's there's some awful aspects of trash talk. And I think especially now, 
there would be a lot of people that would just associate all of that with just that player. And it, it's a tricky line to walk for sure. So I, I don't think they would do that. I would love, and I don't think we're going to get this because you're trying to limit the amount of people going into that bubble and sending a documentary crew in there for three months wouldn't be the best thing. But we've seen with the, uh, the, the last dance and people gushing about the formula one documentary that's on uh, Netflix that I think is going into their third season. People love that sort of behind the scenes access. If you could get kind of quick turnaround on some of this stuff and do like a weekly heavily edited uh, thing where you have a lot, like basically like a 24 seven, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you a hard knock style. Uh, yeah version would be would be really cool i i am with you though i doubt that interested in letting more people in than they they have to but it would be an interesting look in when we don't really know what any of this is going to be like for all of these teams and every day that sort of stuff an inside look would be would be interesting and i wonder you know maybe down the road if we what we see from that comes from this as a look back but it, it certainly would be interesting. I, I Those shows have always been popular with me. I love Hard Knocks. Yeah, uh, and, and I just think because this is such a unique situation, uh, maybe you get players to open up a little bit more. But I, I think those 24-7s that they did with NHL teams, and they still do them. They're not called 24-7 anymore because it's not with HBO. But uh, I think those behind-the-scenes things are, are incredibly insightful. And I think with people just dying for content right now it'll be a bit different when sports are back but i think that would be i think that would be a lot of fun i'm curious as to, to what the text line may say about this 960-960 what are some changes you would like to see made to nhl broadcasts as we head into a very unique time in the nhl what about crowd noise being pumped in i i find it a little cringy i don't like it i remember um when i was working in TV and having to put highlight packs together. If there was a, a broadcast for whatever reason that didn't have crowd noise, like if we just got B-roll from it, we would have to put our own crowd noise behind it. And it just sounds like the worst. And it's just, it's so fake and so phony. I don't know if I'm on board fully with just crowd noise being pumped in. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I probably would pass on, on that myself. It's hard. It's so difficult to, I think... I don't even want to say fairly, but even just accurately represent crowd noise. You know, it's hard for someone in a, a studio situation or, you know, an audio truck or whatever to anticipate how crowds react and when they're, you know, when they're going to be loud or when they're going to do all of that stuff. All right, we're losing logo. Uh, I Riley, can't can we, really... Uh... All right, so technology, we were able to hold off technology for a day yesterday, uh, but technology is coming on very, very strong um, today. So that's a little frustrating, but either way, we'll, we will work our way through it at uh here on sportsnet 960 the fan this is pinder and steinberg welcome to the show should mention today we have chris johnson coming on the air at 2 30 as we continue to work away toward finding out what hub cities are and trying to figure out a lot of stuff in a covid 19 world so we'll chat with him coming up at 2 30 at three o'clock peter labardia stops by the draft lottery was awesome it was crazy. How does it affect the draft? Uh, a number of different story 
storylines to go through with Peter Labardius coming up at three o'clock. And then we'll have some free agency talk because tomorrow was supposed to be the start of NHL free agency if we were living in normal times. Obviously, that is not the case, but still want to look at some potential free agents where they might land, uh, specifically when it involves the Calgary Flames. Your texts, always welcome, 960-960. A uh, couple of these. Isn't there any way for fans to cheer into the app and broadcast all the fans live? The problem would be, um, A, you might get a couple not great things come through on that, but also if there's any kind of lag at all, that would be, it would just sound awkward. You would need it to be perfect. I, I don't mind the idea, but you would need that to be absolutely 100% perfect. Uh, you would need a crowd noise DJ with different levels of crowd reaction. Yeah, you, you wouldn't want to have someone who has an, an itchy trigger finger. It's like an over over-exuberant play-by-play guy who absolutely loses his mind on a relatively easy save in the second period. You don't want a guy uh, who is just like, absolutely spamming crowd goes wild on like a body check or a chance that goes wide or, or something like that. You would need, you would need one of those soundboards to be pretty on the ball. Music isn't for session changes too much. Unlike basketball and lacrosse, which play music during play, in my opinion. And that's, I mean, it, it is a different pace for sure. If you played music the whole time, I wonder if that just becomes noise after a while, but I do think you're going to need something uh, aside from, just the sounds of the skates on the ice and the pucks bouncing off the boards and things of that nature. I think you would need a little bit of ambiance uh, aside from that and just the buzz of arena lights and, and things of that nature. Uh, apparently, we, we have defeated technology, at least for now. Logo, are you back? I believe I'm here again. Do I sound okay, Pete? Uh, for now, yes. Sound you sound delightful, sir. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming back. We were just going through a couple texts. Someone's suggesting we need to pipe in the uh, the crowd noise from NHL '94. I've heard the NBA talking about bringing in some like NBA 2K uh, crowd noise. I mean, they they have it relatively authentic in that game, so maybe you could figure it out that way. But I'd be down for uh, a little NHL '94 crowd noise. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, I think the novelty of it might wear off for. A little bit because it is so so old school, but uh, I mean, yeah, I guess the video game aspect I never really thought about that they're they're getting better and better with getting that stuff accurate to when you're playing. So I wonder if they could apply that to to live action. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that would work. Again, you would need someone who is pretty on the ball with things, and you would need someone who is. Again, we don't want the itchy trigger finger. I was saying before, while you were fighting with technology, you don't need the crowd goes wild on a chance that goes just wide. If you're going to have crowd noise, it needs to be authentic to the crowd noise of an NHL game. Otherwise, it would get distracting and stupid. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the the fact of the matter is we have to ask, do do people even care? Like, do people want that? Or is that something that we're going to miss? Is it something that the players feel they need? Like, or are we just talking about something that we know isn't going to be there and we'd like to have? I don't know that it's something we need to have. Yeah, I, I'm with you. But it's a lot of conversations for sure. And it's whatever they figure out, it's going to be different. Uh, as we roll into potentially the start of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, Chris Johnston will join us. 
the Olympics are getting involved in this. We're also talking about hub cities. A whole lot to get to with our NHL Insider next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg. Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It is the Pinder and Steinberg list edition of Sportsnet 960, The Fan's Pinder and Steinberg program. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon back with you. Very pleased to be joined by our NHL insider, Chris Johnston. Uh, Chris, no Pinder or Steinberg today, uh, but thanks for hopping on. Appreciate it. How are you today? I'm doing well and a little bit better knowing that I don't have to talk to Pat. So things are looking up. <laughs> yes, and uh, you're welcome for that. Um, Elliot Friedman uh, doing some reporting from the cottage, apparently, that uh, the Olympics might be involved in CBA discussions. Um, how much of a selling point do you believe the, the Olympics may be? Well, I, I certainly think it matters to, you know, a pretty big chunk of, of the PA's membership. I mean, you've had a number of the, the young star players, actually most notably Connor McDavid, you know, might've gone missed, uh, you know, because it was during the pandemic, but he did an interview with Mark Spector at Sportsnet in which, you know, it might be the strongest I've heard him publicly talk about anything. And that was just his desire in some way, way shape or form to, to see a best on best tournament played, you know, in the near future where that allowed him to play for team Canada. And so I think, you know, you, you obviously have the upper crust of the league that, that have some personal interest in being part of this. And I think, you know, if you're someone who probably isn't likely to be considered for your country's Olympic team, I mean, even just getting that, that time off during the season uh, is, is a benefit. Uh, you know, in February, it's a pretty good time to, to get some kind of break during the Olympics. So, you know, I think that it's, it's, a, it's definitely a carrot uh, on its own. It's not enough to probably move the needle. But, you know, I think this is something that players have been very clear about, um, you know, especially in missing the, the 2018 Olympics in, in South Korea, that they want to be part of it. And so... You know, I, I view that as good news that, you know, it's something that's being discussed as a possibility as part of the CBA. I mean, the fact that it appears we're on the precipice here of the CBA being worked out is, is its own uh, piece of good news. Although, of course, there, there's still some hurdles to for, for the NHL and the NHLPA to get across to finalize it and then obviously needs to be approved by both sides. Um just shifting gears a little bit on Friday uh, chaos was the big winner with the NHL draft lottery uh, the long-suffering fans of team E finally getting a glimmer of hope with their uh, draft lottery win what did you make of all the craziness from Friday well it was crazy I think it did what the league wanted frankly and and that's create a buzz uh, made the, the NHL uh, something that was relevant for something other than where are we going to play these games what the hub city is going to be and now it's set up just the way it turned out that there's going to be a phase two lottery at some point, uh, you know, assuming they're able to restart the season after, uh, you know, the, the, the play-in series, the qualifiers uh, are held. And so I think for all those reasons, uh, it's, it's a good outcome. If you're working in the NHL front office, you know, I understand if you're a fan of the Red Wings or the, the senators in particular, the teams that, that had the, the toughest regular seasons this year, it was probably a disappointing night to, to see your team not get that number one overall pick, but, you know, I think everyone has to keep in mind it's called a lottery for a reason. And, and you know, the, the quite often, in fact, more often than not, if you look at the last 10 years, say, the team that finishes last in the standings, you know, doesn't end up with that number one overall pick. That's by design. You know, the league has wanted to disincentivize any any uh, reason a team might have to tank. And so as a result of that, you know, they, they've got to this point where the odds aren't particularly good. And it just so happens in this one year where we don't have um, you know, teams to fill out those spots eight through 15 yet, 
you know, one of those long shot teams finally wins because they didn't actually change the odds. I mean, team E has been an actual team in all the last number of draws with a 2.5% chance at first. It's just that team has never won the lottery and, and, and earned that right. And then just in this, this crazy year of 2020, you know, that's what happened. And I, I do think it actually will add an, a nice element uh, from a storytelling perspective as we get into those qualifiers. And, you know, I do think that this is an example of the lottery working as it's supposed to, uh, you know, from the NHL's perspective. Yeah, I, I thought this was almost best case scenario for the NHL because you you try to, as you said, kind of distance yourself from tanking a little bit. You, you never want teams actively trying to lose. And uh, I think we are seeing a, a bit of that, not, not as much as in other sports. Baseball, like three quarters of the league sucks. So the, the NHL, I think, is doing a, a pretty good job with that. But you also, you distance yourself from tanking. And also, this second draft lottery depending on the, the teams that are involved, uh, this could really shape things in the league for the next little while with a, a franchise player going to potentially a pretty good team. Well, it could go to a really good team. I mean, if Pittsburgh were to lose, for example, uh, to Montreal in the play-in and then win him, I mean, that that would not have been a result that was even notionally possible. I mean, the Penguins, I believe it's something like a 95% chance of qualifying for the playoffs in, in our alternate universe when time stopped on, on March 12th. And so they would never have even had a spot in this draft lottery. Uh, but, you know, the way it turns out, there's the potential they will. Now, I, I know in Pittsburgh, uh, they want a chance to, to win another Stanley Cup and raise a banner. They're, they're not focused at all on that outcome. But, you know, it is a possibility if they lose a best of five, you know. And I would say, really, it's what makes me excited about the possibility of this playoffs. If it, if it does go ahead, is that I, I really think that there's going to be some, some upsets in those best of fives, in part because, it's a best of five and in and, and another part, because, you know, these teams are coming back to the ice after four, almost five months uh, of, of, you know, inactivity. And, and that's going to change all kinds of things, whether it's a makeup of teams, whether it's injured players, uh, you know, coming back healthy, you know, there, there's probably varying levels of interest and, and approach throughout this pandemic to how players have, have gotten ready. And that's so, you know, some teams will probably be advantaged about through, through the, the unique scenario that that's happening right now. And some will be disadvantaged. You know, that's a long way of answering that. We're going to see some pretty good teams, I think, be among the eight losers in that qualifier. And, and as a result, they've all got an equal shot, uh, 12.5% chance at Alexi Lafreniere. And, and, you know, that, that was probably not going to happen in, in uh, pre-COVID times. So, you know, I, I think it could be, you know, certainly that, that second draft will be watched pretty closely. I think will be another buzzworthy event. And, you know, we could see, you know, a pretty special talent end up on a team that, only needs one or two pieces to get over the top and could really shift the, the balance of power in the league. Chatting with our NHL insider, Chris Johnston, here on Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960. The fan, I'm Peter Klein. He's Logan Gordon. CJ, how are you, buddy? Doing well, Logan. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, buddy. Um, I'm just curious, one more piggybacking off of the, the draft lottery thing. Would you expect any sort of blowback from owners and GMs if, say, a, a Toronto or a Pittsburgh, even a Calgary and Edmonton did wind up with that first overall pick. Would there be some, some upset GMs and owners that would have something to say about that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I don't think that for a moment do I pretend that everyone around the league is applauding this, you know, there, there's a lot of people with their own individual ways of looking at these things. I think, especially with a team like Edmonton, you know, after already picking number one overall, what is it? Four times. Uh, within the last 10 years, you know, there's already been some movement 
in prior GM meetings to try to limit how many times you can win the number one overall pick in a certain time frame. Now, it, it didn't become a rule and it didn't pass, but, you know, for example, if the Oilers were to lose to Chicago and, and win the number one pick, you, you might see something like that resurface as a possible rule change coming out of this. But, you know, I, I can. I, I don't think the league is, you know, they'll take that phone call, they'll listen, and then they'll move on to the next thing. I, I don't know that it'll be enough to to change anything because, you know, obviously these teams, you know, that this is it's it's random. I mean, uh, especially if it's one of the good teams, you know, a team like Edmonton that was basically assured of making the playoffs, even even the Leafs, which, you know, we're, we're flirting potentially with missing the playoffs, but, you know, a team that's trying to win the Stanley Cup all year long, if they end up, uh, losing to, to Columbus and, and winning this pick. I mean, it's they didn't make the rules. You know, it wasn't them that they came up with the system. You know, there, there'll definitely be people that don't like it, uh, but outside of the, the headquarters of the, the team. But, you know, I, I don't know that it's going to lead to much change. And, and, you know, I really do believe the league wants more randomness rather than less, uh, that they don't want teams having 45-point seasons, which is roughly what Detroit was on pace for. Uh, they played an 82-game season. And so, you know, I, I don't think that they mind if, if this uh, – this crazy year of 2020 produces a crazy number one overall pick just because some of this is circumstantial with, with the fact 24 teams are getting the playoffs and they've created this new round, uh, the qualifying round. And, you know, some of it just underlines the fact that it doesn't pay or that doesn't pay too much to, to be the worst team in the league. And it sounds like we've gotten another shortening of the potential hub cities lists down to four Vegas, Chicago, Edmonton, and Toronto is that consistent with what you're hearing and how far away do you think we are from a, an official decision on those two uh, hub cities well what I can tell you is definitely it, those four are the only ones remaining in the running and there is some question about you know how much Vegas is in that running so you know we might be looking at three and a half uh, so to speak at this point in time and, and you know some of that just speaks to how uncertain or how fluid the situation is, how, how much of a spike we've seen in cases in parts of the U.S., especially somewhere like California, which I think is you know, one of the reasons L.A. is no longer there. And, and there's some question about, um, you know, how viable Vegas is, you know, with, with the, the cases spreading like wildfire in Nevada. And, you know, really what it, what it kind of points you to is, is you know, is, is there any way at this point, knowing what we know and given, you know, the way things are going in the U.S., to, to have this, anywhere but in two Canadian cities. But I think when you add on there is, you know, obviously local health authorities have some say in the matter. And, and um, you know, I, I think that there's probably a little bit of pause in places like Alberta and Ontario with the provincial governments about, you know, um, allowing these, these teams to come up from the U.S. and what circumstances, you know, they'll, they'll be living in and how all that works. And so, you know, I, I don't get the feeling or the sense that this is close yet to being finalized. I mean, it's close in, in that it's a number of days, but it's not a number of hours unless something changes drastically from the last phone call I had with someone pretty closely connected to this. And so um, this has proven to be a huge challenge. I, I, again, I think it's it's tied to how much things, how unstable the, the world's become in North America, especially south of, of our border here in Canada. And, you know, some of the complications that, that are tied in with, you know, getting the CBA and everything else done. I mean, there's a lot of legwork being done on a number of issues at the same time. And, you know, my sense of what's happened specifically today is that the, trying to finish off the CBA and getting the framework of that in place has taken up more of the time. And, and you know, they'll, they'll have to return to the subsidy decision here in, in the, the next day or two. Just one more on the hub city, specifically speaking about Toronto. 
any correlation or joint communication you think between the NHL and the MLB and the Ontario government? We know that the Blue Jays are trying to work out something that will allow them to play home games teams traveling from the United States to play. Would there be any correlation between the two or joint communication as to, I know it's not the same, you're talking about an going situation with baseball, but as health officials, or uh, you think there'd be any sort of joyish? Well, my sense is that NHL is in a better position here in, in Toronto than the MLB. And, and, you know, part of it is just that they've been having these conversations for a much longer period of time. You know, obviously the Blue Jays were planning on, on initially playing out of their, their spring training facility in Dunedin and Florida, and that's become untenable because of the situation there. And so I think that they've engaged with the governments a little bit late. And then when you add to the fact that, you know, if the NHL ends up, you know, coming to Toronto as a hub city, you know, that, that you're having a, a, a bubble type situation. There, there isn't a lot of movement. I mean, once everyone gets on the ground, they're being tested every day. Uh, they're not coming into contact with the public on, on really any basis, but certainly not on a regular basis, and that they're, they're kept in their own little bubble versus, you know, the MLB bottle where you've got the Tampa Bay Rays coming through for three-game series, and then maybe the Yankees are in or the Red Sox. And, and you know, I, I think that that, that key differentiator, um, you know, puts the Blue Jays' bid or, or, or desire in a little bit more jeopardy. I think that, you know, the, the NHL is at a pretty good spot with the local governments, um, you know, in fact, uh, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, but I do think that, that Toronto is probably the, the favorite now, one of the favorites to be a hub city. And it does seem as though, you know, their bid has got to a point. The government's comfortable. I think the NHL is comfortable with some tweaks that, that, you know, Toronto's made to its bid in the last seven or 10 days. And it, it feels as though things are on track for them. Whereas, you know, the Blue Jay situation is far, far less certain. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised not my uh, area of expertise or the beat I'm on, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they're, they're not permitted to resume games here based on the fact that there is so much coming and going with teams that are based in the U S and, and it is a little bit different of an experience or, or um, you know, something that, that you have to approve if you're in the, in the provincial government shoes. Apologies for the technical stuff on my side there, CJ, but uh, just continuing on with you here, we got some news a few days ago. ESPN's Greg Wyshynski, uh was saying that the NHL was very close to coming to a deal with the Players Association on a six-year deal for a CBA. We would see things like a, a capped escrow at 20% for the next two seasons and even a, a frozen salary cap over the next uh, couple of years as well. Is that enough for the NHL and PA to get this this deal done? I know escrow has been such an issue moving forward. Is is freezing escrow for a couple of years, or capping it, I should say, for a couple of years, a good enough solution to help them get this done long term and find a way to get some labor peace for the next little while? Yeah, I, I think the key really is that the the new CBA and where the talks have been is about how do the owners and the players share the burden of what's going to be an industry with less revenue, you know, certainly for, for the remainder of this season, but I think it's fair to say, you know, even next year, um, you know, it's hard to envision a scenario where the, the buildings are being played at hundred percent capacity through the 2020, 21 season. And so a lot of the, the talks on the CBA extension, I mean, obviously there's individual contractual issues that would have been the case no matter what, but I, I do think a lot of, you know, what's going to get done here is really just how the, the sides are planning to, 
navigate these next couple seasons where, you know, players are going to take a hit. There's some contracts they've agreed to, you know, teams are going to have to restrict what they spend. And, and that's what you're talking about with a, a set salary cap. And, you know, in fact, I believe there's agreement essentially on keeping the cap flat at 81.5 million for the next two seasons as part of this. And then uh, later in the, the agreement, it's about getting back to, you know, something that looks like what they had before, uh, where the, what's paid to players is tied directly to league revenue and all those sorts of things. And so, you know, I, I do think that they've got somewhere the 90% range, 95% of this thing done. Um, you know, it's my understanding that the, what's going on today is, is really trying to, to finalize some of the, the, the key points and, and, you know, some of the, those numbers where there might have been room for a little bit of movement one way or the other, locking in on those types of things so that you can give the NHLPA membership a chance to, to vote on this because, you know, that's going to have to happen uh, before we even get to training camps, before we even know 100% if there will be games to be played, let alone where they'll be played uh, this summer. Um, but, you know, there, there has been a, a high degree of collaboration, I think, from the league and the players uh, consistently from the day the season paused uh, through these CBA talks to this moment right now where we're kind of at the 11th hour for, for all these things to get wrapped up uh, in order to, to facilitate the season resuming because, you know, it does have to happen pretty quickly or it's going to take some time once the CBA is finalized for players to review it and then to vote on it. And, of course, you know, there, there's still some hope for training camps to open, if not on July 10th, well, maybe on July 13th, but that's still less than two weeks from today as we're talking. And so, you know, this is a critical juncture, and I do agree with, you know, what you're referencing there from, from Greg Wyshynski in that, you know, I, I do think that most of it is in place, but they're still hammering away at some of those final details right now. Chatting with Chris Johnston, our NHL insider here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Just a, a couple more with you, CJ. Um, just uh, I want to double back to the, the Hub City thing for, for just a, a quick second. Uh, we, we had heard up until a couple weeks ago that Vancouver was almost a lock, and now they're not even mentioned in the conversation. Is it all the way done that Vancouver just isn't going to be one of the Hub Cities? It appears to be. You know, the team put out a statement saying as much. But I don't know that we can rule anything out 100% at this point in time, quite honestly, guys. I mean, this I've never covered anything like this. I mean, there's no certain to be, certainty to be found anywhere in this sort of thing. I mean, usually when we're, we're bracing for a significant announcement from the NHL, the decision's already made, and it's just a matter of how they're going to announce it or when they're going to announce it, what they're going to say. You know, in, at this point in time, I don't think there's any secrets being kept. I, I really do believe that the decision hasn't been finalized and that, uh, that, that you know, certain details have to be completed. And so, you know, given how warm the NHL was to Vancouver, um, you know, maybe there's, there's a way for them to circle back there. You know, I've certainly heard no specific information detailing that, but, you know, I, I don't want to close the door on, on too much um, just because of how volatile this has been. And, and really the, the, the issues with, with BC and, and Vancouver broke down over, you know, how, how it would work if a player tested positive inside the bubble you know, who would have to be quarantined along with that player, how long that, that process would last uh, and that sort of thing. You know, the, the NHL, uh, you know, wasn't able to, to find something that worked and, and the BC government was to find, I guess, a, you know, some, some sort of uh, concession one way or another. Um, but, you know, I, I won't say it can't possibly happen other than it's going to have to happen quickly because, you know, as, as I mentioned, I think that these things do have to be finalized if not, you know, tomorrow, the day after, I mean, it's, it's, we're getting really close to where this has to get locked in. And, and, you know, as I mentioned, I haven't heard anything 
uh, from any of my sources that Vancouver's, you know, resurfaced as a possibility. Uh, how much of a of a split is it between owners and players as to who gets a say on the, the hub city? Is it 50-50 what the owners want, what the players want? Is it just an NHL thing? I, I guess how, how much weight does either side carry in this discussion? If anything, it might tilt a little bit more towards the players. And, and you know, that's okay. been an interesting thing that's that's cropped up, I guess, during, you know, the, the coronavirus pandemic is is that you know, I think the league has, has put a lot of power in the players' hands more than, than they probably would on, on most issues. I mean, when it came to some of the, the, the final things that had to be worked out with the 2014 uh, restart, how that was going to work and, and those types of things, um, you know, I know the players had a lot of say, you know, for example, getting to, to choose whether the, the first round itself was a best of five or best of seven. Um, you know, certain parts of how the bracketing worked was was put entirely in the hands of the players. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's it's all the, the power is one place or another, but, you know, I think the league is, is doing its due diligence, making sure uh, all the details of a bid are in order that, that the city is capable of holding it. But, you know, I also don't think by any means are they dictating to the players, you have to go to city X or city Y. And so, you know, there has really been collaboration. I mean, it's been a, a stark difference, for example, than what we saw uh, for Major League Baseball as it tried to, to find a plan to resume its season. And there was a lot more open animosity between the sides. You know, I haven't detected really any degree of that uh, in my conversations with people on both ends of, of these discussions. It's, it's, it's all about trying to, to find the best thing possible. And you know, that's become a whole lot less difficult, a whole lot more difficult rather in these last few days because of, of just the way this, this virus is, is spiraling out of control in the U.S. Uh, a little bit on that note, we got uh, a few numbers from the NHL the other day as to number of players who have tested positive, and I believe it was right around 5% of players who were tested, tested positive. Is that number bigger than expected, smaller than expected, right in the ballpark of where they were thinking? It, was that number a surprise in either way for the NHL? No, I, I think it's fair to say that was in the ballpark, but you know, I'm still very curious because the one number that probably wasn't discussed a lot is that, you know, roughly 250 players are included in that testing. Well, you know, it's going to take about 750 players uh, for every team with an expanded roster and the 24 team restart to, to, to play. And so, you know, we're only getting testing results from a third of the NHL population. And, and so, you know, I, I, I think that 5% didn't raise too many alarm bells internally, um, you know, of, of the players that have been taking part in the voluntary group workouts. But as we get more guys back in their cities and, and joining the process, and certainly as if if or when we get to training camp and, and players are being tested on a near daily basis, you know, I think what, what numbers come out of that will be most telling about how likely this is to be able to proceed, if they're going to be able to uh, control things and, and, and keep this headed in a good direction. But, you know, I, I would say without diminishing the seriousness of this, because obviously we're talking about humans that uh, have contracted coronavirus and, and you know, play in the NHL, you know, I don't want to minimize their experience because I don't know what all their symptoms are or how bad any of those cases are. But just statistically, I think that that was a number um, that, that would fall in the acceptable range or the expected range. And, you know, we'll wait and see where it lands when everyone's getting tested again because, you know, it could, could end up quite a bit more at a higher percentage than that.
We, we've discussed this a couple of times, but uh, we're, we're now starting to see it in action in Major League Baseball and a bit in the N- uh, NBA as well, with players opting out of, of whatever the return to play plan is in whatever league they're in. Uh, I, I would assume that there would be the same kind of mechanism for any NHL player for whatever reason, whether it be um, social issues that are going on right now or it's a worldwide pandemic. If the player doesn't want to go, they wouldn't have to. Yeah, that's consistent with what I've heard. I think that it might come in two phases. I mean, certain people might have what we might term an excused absence in the sense that, you know, they have an underlying medical condition where doctors are recommending that they they not subject themselves to any undue harm. And and those players will probably be allowed to not to play with, with literally no ramifications. You know, what we've seen in the NBA plan is that players that are opting out for what we might call more personal reasons, just because they, they don't want to be there. They don't feel comfortable there. Uh, they're worried about leaving their family at this time, any of those types of things, you know, they're, they're being docked a, a small percentage of their pay based on how many games their teams play without them. You know, I, w- I would think something consistent would, would be brought in here for the NHL. You know, the, the key takeaway though, is that no one is going to be made to do this. You know, no one is going to be said, you signed a contract, you have to, to do this or your team can, can, um, you know, can, can terminate that deal or you're in violation of those, those terms. You know, I, I, I think that there's, a sensitivity to what's going on in the world right now. And, and, you know, I would imagine you'll see some players opt out. I, I don't think it'll be a huge number myself. I know that there's a lot of questions right now. I've seen the tweets. I, you know, I, I'm not dismissing that there aren't players with concerns, but, you know, if the league manages to, to come up with a safe way to do this, you know, I think most players feel that once they get into the hub, it might be the safest place they could be, quite frankly, with, with all the things that are going to be put in place for them. Um, it's, it's more just navigating these next few weeks and, and, you know, getting everyone back and getting the testing protocol, you know, working, getting everyone comfortable with what happens. And I think it's a little bit more challenging, but, you know, if the CBA can be finalized and, and, you know, two cities are locked in as hubs that, you know, I think that most players will be comfortable with the world they're coming back to and, and will ultimately go forward and, and, and play games this summer. Uh, last one for you. There was an announcement earlier today that, uh, again, I feel like we're comparing things with baseball, but when every league is in the same situation, it's it's easy to compare and contrast. But uh, minor league baseball canceled for the, the season, and a lot of people projecting that the minor league baseball system is going to look a whole lot different than it did pre-COVID-19. Baseball is in a different situation. The American Hockey League got most of their season in. But is there any concern uh, about how this might affect the, the long-term health of things like the American Hockey League and the, the Canadian Hockey League and NCAA to a certain extent as well. Yeah, the, it's going to be a big issue. And, and you know, we're not at a stage yet. As it turns out, the American Hockey League president, longtime one, uh, David Andrews, is, is today's his last day on the job, which was, which was planned pre-COVID as well. Um, but, you know, that league is facing a challenge unlike any it's faced in a long, long time. And, you know, what's what's been done so far is there's been a panel created You've got some NHL GMs like Kyle Dubas and Steve Eisenman on that panel. Um, you know, other interested stakeholders, agents, the whole bit. And, and, you know, that's, that's meant to try to find some solutions here because, you know, that's a league that, that first of all, doesn't have, um, you know, huge margins, you know, and, and it's, you kind of have teams run in two ways. Uh, you have some teams that own their own AHL franchise. They don't necessarily worry about it as making money uh, because they view it as part of their development arm more than anything for their prospects in a place to, to put players that aren't ready yet to be in the NHL. And then you have some, some teams that are run as independent business and some of them are quite successful like the Chicago Wolves franchise, for example, 
And, you know, I, I just don't see where teams like that are going to be able to keep operating as long as fans aren't allowed in the building. And so I've heard all kinds of ideas thrown around to maybe some NHL teams that run their own NHL teams, essentially creating their own development schedule next year, uh, you know, somewhere for their prospects to play and to play each other. But, you know, at this point in time, nothing has been decided upon. And I do think it looms as a big challenge. I mean, I think the HL will be back in some form in the 2020-2021 season, but it's going to look a lot different than the league that was was halted as well alongside the NHL back in March. And, and um, you know, there's going to have to be a lot of work that goes into it. I do think it's not going to be every team will be back initially, and, and you're going to have to see some probably some regional leagues almost crop up to make this thing work. But, um, you know, desperate times or complicated times call for desperate or complicated measures. And, and you know, that's that's going to happen in the AHL. I don't have as good a feel what's going on in the CHL. Um, you know, I know that they face similar challenges, though, in, in, in terms of not knowing when fans will be back in the building. But, you know, this is going to this is going to be felt across this sport and, and every other for years to come. There's going to be almost a tremor, you know, a tremor after an earthquake. And, you know, I, I think it's still almost premature to, to guess what those tremors will be or what they'll mean, because you know, we, we don't yet know how long this is going to last, when a vaccine is going to come around and when things, especially in the U.S., are going to come under some better control than they are today. Uh, CJ, I understand this is the, the last time we'll be chatting for a, a little bit as you, you take a bit of a break. Uh, any big plans for a vacation or is just not talking to us for a couple of weeks uh, vacation enough? Well, that's that's a perk of the job, but but certainly no no big plans. You know, I, I think I'll largely stay here in Toronto and um, you know just just try to unplug a little bit, uh, such as it is, and and uh, get ready for what I hope is going to be a playoffs. Because if if the playoffs start for all of us, there's going to be a lot of work through August, September, into October. You know, the entry draft in October, for agency November first. You know, it, it'll be a pretty exciting time, I think, if if everything gets off the ground here. So just just try and. Uh, get uh, a little bit mentally refreshed and, and be ready for that. Uh, I guess just a, a little inside, but you're someone obviously takes your job very seriously and you're very good at it. Uh, while there's still things up in the air, are you able to unplug or, or does the reporter side still come out a bit? I'll still be chipping around, you know, much to my wife's <laughs> chagrin. You know, it's, it's, look, this isn't a real job that I have. I, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to get to make a living doing what I do. So, you know, it, it, but it does require you to be wired in with people just because, you know, you, you take some time off work doesn't mean the text messages or phone calls don't stop. And so, you know, especially until we get a feeling what's going to a better sense of what's happening these next few days, I'm sure I'll be checking in a little bit, but, you know, a little bit less than normal because, uh, you know, it is important for everyone, I think, to, to take a breath from time to time. Well, hopefully you enjoy taking that breath, sir, and uh, we'll, we'll chat, uh, I guess, next time we chat. <laughs> All right. Thanks, CJ. Be well, guys, we'll, we'll talk soon. Yeah, you too. There you go, Chris Johnson, our NHL insider. Uh, time for us to take a break. When we come back, NHL draft lottery chaos. Oh, I'm still so happy about it. But it, it does send ripples throughout the draft world. And who better to talk about the draft world with than Peter Labardius? We chat with Lubo next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon, and Riley Pollock on the once Tuesday. Very pleased to be joined by our next guest, knower of all things sports, color voice of the Calgary Flames. He is Peter Labardius. Lubo, how are you today, sir? 
I am outstanding, guys. I'm uh, terrific, in fact. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, the uh, the draft is a subject that is near and dear to your heart. And we, it is, yeah. We found, <laughs> we found out on uh, Friday who most of the top picks will be going to, but still one left to be decided, and that's the big one at first overall. I was thrilled that we have a bit of chaos thrown into the NHL draft lottery. What was your reaction to how things went down on Friday with the draft lottery? I'd like to tell you that you and I were on exactly the same page, but I'd be a complete and utter liar if I said that uh, (laughs) I found it to be very chaotic as well. And as it went along, I kept saying even out loud in my living room, now it's top three. Oh, no, it better not be top two. Well, no, better not be top one. And it ended up being top one. It's, It's exciting in its own respect for the teams that obviously still have a shot to land, a player that I uh, am incredibly fond of. I think he has an opportunity, Lafreniere, to be a true superstar in the National Hockey League, even though we generally think about wingers in that way rather than centermen. But this guy I've been watching for a number of years and, and really had my first opportunity to watch him in 2018 at the Holenka Gretzky Cup in Edmonton. And, you know, from that time, you just saw the incredible skill set, his will and want to impose himself on the games when they were the most important. And, you know, in a draft, in a set of draft profiles that I did recently for the station, Peter talked about, I had one real question mark with Alexi Lafreniere going into this season. And that was to see how he would handle the world junior and being Canada's, if you will, main man. And, well, all he did was suffer what looked to be a tournament-ending injury and came back and was clearly the best player on the gold medal winning team. So um, in my world, that's pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered. But, you know, to get back to the original point – No, I'm probably more in the Brian Burke category where the draft is concerned this year with COVID and the nuances of it. I would have been just as soon A-OK with that particular Friday night, only having seven teams involved and deciding on who was going to pick one through seven. Yeah, and I I fully understand that view as well. You you want the teams that need the top draft picks to get the top draft picks. That's how you keep teams involved and just kind of keep cycling through everything. And and I fully understand that. Well, what I don't get is, like, from the NHL standpoint, this obviously creates a a made-for-TV event after the the play Mm -hmm. round is done. But why why did they have to do it this way? Like, just do one draft lottery after the play-in round and it's still going to be exciting, and it's still a, a made-for-TV event. Like, I, I just, I, I again, I like a bit of chaos dripped in, but this was also, you could have just done this normally. There was no reason to do it when you did it. Well, again, you know, I'm really trying hard the last few months to be less critical, more progressive in my thinking, um, I don't disagree, Peter, with your thought process in a lot of ways, you know, because, again, do, do, do I think anyone involved, if indeed, you know, and I'm sure we're going to go there too, if indeed games do get played and the season gets finished, 
you know, one of the reasons I felt pretty strong about it just being those seven teams in is you don't think there aren't thoughts, you know, probably more from the fan base than anybody else about, well, that's a heck of a second prize if we get knocked out (laughs) in the play-in round. You know, I just, I, I don't like, I don't like anything that's somewhat, and I do feel this way a little bit, that it, that it taints the situation a little bit, you know, where, where there might be another priority or an alternative to winning. Now, do I, do I truly think anybody who's in the event isn't going to try and win the whole ball of wax? Of course, I think everybody's going to put their best foot forward and try to win. I mean, you only get so many chances, right? So, um, you know, even for those teams that have been extended an opportunity by the field expanding, well, that matters because, as we know, even in the city that we cover hockey, being in any form of playoff is not taken for granted, is it? Like, like that, like that is something that really, really matters, and it's never been harder to, you know, find your way into the tournament. Although this one being different, but, but you're right. I, I, I like you would have been. A-okay, but you know what? The other thing, Peter, I understand is that, you know, you haven't had a whole lot going on in your league for quite some time. The chances of it happening the way it did were incredibly, you know, unlikely. Like, I'd feel very different if Team X got pick seven, you know, rather Mm -hmm. than how it all ended up. So there you have it. Yeah. And now what what I think this creates, um, and I might be overstating this a bit, but I feel like this is potentially a bit of a, a fork in the road moment where depending on, on how this plays out and look, it, it could still go to one of the teams that weren't going to be in the playoffs anyway, like a, a Rangers or a, a Canadiens or Blackhawks or something along mm-hmm. those lines. But let, I mean, one of the things we were throwing out before Carey Price has had some pretty good weeks in his life as an NHL goalie. If he has another one of those and shuts down the Penguins, and then all of a sudden, Alexi <laughs> Lafreniere is playing on the wing with Sidney Crosby for a few years, that changes the dynamic of this league. And I really think we're talking about a player in Lafreniere who could turn a bad team around. You put him on a good team, and I feel like there are a couple teams where if this goes their way, this really shifts things in the National Hockey League. Well, again, he hasn't played a game in the league. So, you know, before, and listen, I'm a massive fan, so I, I want to put that out there. But, you know, I'm also, you need to show me, and you, you need to show me at, in the highest level of the sport that you can be a big difference maker, even when you have all the hype, and, and I think he's going to be a terrific player. So, so I agree. And, you know, don't, don't tell me that one of the first things, if you like the Flames or you're a Flames fan, I know what went through your head the other night. <laughs> we know what that message is. I know what went through my head for a small amount of time, and it wasn't the Pittsburgh Penguins getting the first overall pick <laughs> when it was all said and done. Those I, I don't guys, know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, I think you're uh, more than well aware of one team that's, uh, you know, had a few good horseshoes and clover when it comes to lotteries. So, you know, they've done a really nice job up there. I don't take anything away from them. They've got two incredibly talented players and can't say enough about the job that both Dave Tippett and Ken Holland have done in rebuilding things. But 
you know, and I'm a big Bob Nicholson fan, have been for a long time, they, they don't need to win the lottery again. Uh, no, no, I, I'd be pretty okay with a, <laughs> a bit of a break from seeing the Edmonton Oilers at the the top of a tra- Oh, could you? I, I, yeah, again, I can. I understand. Yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, that would be, that would be annoying. I, I would be relatively annoyed by that thought. And I, I'm trying to, just trying to not think about that. Not, that's why I threw out the Penguins as the example. Right. Oh, that, that would make me mad. That, that would be really frustrating. And I think it is pretty neat to line. think about where that individual might fit in red, though. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, that would, I mean, I think it fixes a couple problems. Uh, you well, know, like you're in the market, probably, you know, the only thing that you'd probably say would be nicer, but you could put up with it because you can play this guy anywhere. And that's the interesting thing about Lafreniere. The way he impacts the game is, and the way the game is played today, you know, he has what I would call a centerman's impact. You know, he, this guy does it all. He does it physically, he makes plays, he can score, you know, this guy does it all. And what excites me the most about whoever gets this guy is I, I'm always a big believer that when you can do it in the most pressure-filled situations, when it's difficult, you've got it going on. And he just passed, as I stated earlier, for me, a massive test. And he did it in a situation where I guarantee you he was hurt to the point where there was a lot of questions being asked within his group of whether he should play or not. Well, in his first two shifts back, I'm like, how is this happening? And the rest is history. And I quite enjoyed January 5th and, you know, winning another gold medal for my favorite country. Yeah, that, that certainly doesn't hurt one's case, that's for sure. But not we, mine. Uh, here. I, I, you know, I don't enjoy it any less either. I, I'm quite, <laughs> I quite really enjoy it. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that one. As we chat with Peter Labardius here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Logo? Uh, Lou, how are you, buddy? It's been a little I'm while. I'm good, pal. Been thinking about you. I hope you're doing a little better. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, I mentioned it's been a while since we've had our, our shows together. You, me, and, and Peter had a few uh, a few weeks ago when we were just mm-hmm. talking about which NHL teams were getting into the restart and We've had uh, some news here, back and forth, about the NHL's return to play plan. I'm just curious how you've felt about, uh, as we get closer and closer to the NHL, maybe having training camps in a few weeks here and the potential of hockey in the next few weeks. Well, you know, I'm, 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 I guess I'm excited. The big one for me, gents, is going to be training camp. So there's some things to get done before now and then, and with the ever you know, changing health situation, especially south of the border. Um, But when the hub cities are named, and we're down to four, as fine young Mr. Pollock let us all in on at the top of the hour, and I'm sure you guys have discussed already today. So with every piece of news that kind of steers it a little bit more, I get more excited. I'll be more excited, you know, when teams actually kick off training camps. And even at that point, um, you know, there will still be trepidation and we've still got a lot of things to work out, you know, between the league and the players. And, you know, new news today out of Elliot Friedman about 
players going back to the Olympics again, potentially in 2022. And I don't think based on my previous answers, you'd have to stretch very far, Mr. Gordon, to know where I stand on that particular topic. So that, that made me very, very happy today, if that is indeed part of the next CBA. But yeah, it's um, I want to be really, really excited, but until camp, Hub City's camps and probably making it through a few days and seeing an actual schedule that says, well, the Calgary Flames are going to play an exhibition game on the 28th or 29th. You know, when I start seeing that stuff, then I'm going to get really excited. Then I'm going to get really excited. And you and Peter were talking about some prospect stuff there with the draft lottery, and I'm excited to hear your draft profiles coming up as we get closer and closer to NHL draft season, but uh, me and Peter have kind of gone back and forth on the number two overall pick, or who could be number two, and one Mm -hmm. guy we've talked a lot about is uh, a young man by the name of Quinton Byfield, and we've almost gone to the point where we don't know how the last prospect that we can think of that had such a variance between could be a potential superstar to people worrying about uh, a potential, you know, overselling of the player. Where do you stand on Quinton Byfield? Well, it's hard not to be incredibly impressed by the package and and the skill set. You know, he's already 6'4 and 215, 220 pounds. Um, you know, he's an incredible skater. He's got great mobility. Um, I remember watching him in person for the first time a couple of summers ago when he was 15 at the OHL Gold Cup tournament for the best OHL prospects in Ontario. And certainly I was really, really impressed then. I I would say for me, I understand some of the trepidation because, again, it's really, really difficult to be an impact player at 17 at the World Junior, and let's not forget, I'm not sure he played a shift in the final game. Like, it was harder and harder to find him any kind of ice time as the tournament went along. Um, I also thought that he was less than stellar a few weeks later at the top prospects game, but, you know, I don't see him sliding any further, Logan, than, you know, maybe four. And he reminds me somewhat, and, and just somewhat, but not completely, um, you know, just maybe the skill and, and size of a, of a Malkin type. Um, but, but my trepidation comes from, you know, when I've seen him in some high-level situations, he hasn't exactly blown the doors off for me. Now, he was good. He was pretty good at the Holenka Gretzky in August, and, and obviously I pay incredibly close attention to that, but even in that event, Cole Perfetti was a bigger star for Canada and scored eight times, and, you know, he's another player that I've talked to some people, and, you know, there, there, there would be some people that might even venture to think of him in that kind of spot or wheelhouse, let alone the young man who blew me away from Germany at the World Junior and Tim Stutzler. It's funny you mentioned Stutzler because I was going to just shift the focus to to the Ottawa Senators who might have been considered the the biggest losers on the day of the draft lottery when 
they could have selected as high as one and two, but wind up with with three and five. It's hard to feel too bad for a team that's still going to pick two players in the top five. And as you mentioned there, if Stutzel's a guy that's around at three, could be the center of the future for the Ottawa Senators. And at five, there's still going to be a very good player left for them. And even though they're not drafting one and two, three and five in this kind of draft could certainly go a long way to helping the, the Senators franchise moving forward. Logan, I, I really like, I mean, it's not as ideal as it could have been, and I was actually cheering for them um, to probably do a little better, frankly, on Friday night. However, with all the good work that Pierre Dorian and the staff have done there and starting to really accumulate some quality players and some quality prospects still on their way to, I believe, making a real impact in the league, um, you know, you're going to get two dynamite players at three and five. Now, um, to me, there's there's one class, Lafreniere. And then, honestly, gents, for me, Stutzla, Byfield are probably, if you want to tier things, in the next tier. But after that, depending on how you want to go, you know, for me, Perfetti wouldn't be far from being in that class in terms of a forward. A Lucas Raymond, who I've been so impressed with out of Sweden the last couple of years, who reminds me, frankly, a lot of Mitch Marner as a right-handed winger that makes plays and has a great impact on the game. And the other thing that you like as far as you know the Senators are concerned is you get an opportunity to potentially take a high, high-end forward, whoever you settle on, and whoever you really like in that next grouping, and you get your hands on the guy that you think is arguably the best defenseman, whether it's, you know, Drysdale and and some people like, you know, Jake Sanderson a lot too. He's really moved up, who is, you know, all kinds of Calgary roots. His father's Jeff Sanderson, the former NHLer. Um, You know, he's the captain of the U.S. under-18 team. And the more I've watched him on video and, and... I was lucky because I watched him as a 15-year-old play for Team Alberta and, you know, watched him even in Bantam AAA and one game at the edge. But, boy, he's really blossomed too. So if you're the Sens, you're going to get a high-end forward and potentially a real high-end defenseman. That's, that's not a bad place to be. Couple more here with Peter Labardius. Um, everyone loves a good draft day trade. Would a three-five package <laughs> for one be, in, be enough on either side of that? To get yeah, maybe, like that? maybe. Depending, you know what's interesting about that, Mister Klein? I hmm. think I think the way the lottery shakes out gives that potentially more reason to be in play. Yeah. So yeah. depending on who ends up winning the lottery and where they are and their strengths and their needs, now it's it, it would be hard not to want this particular player, but the ability to, you know, have the next tier forward, and for me, drop off for sure, but I wouldn't say necessarily, you know, huge, huge drop off and the best defenseman, whoever they decide it is, that's not bad. So, no, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily out of the realm either. 
And I, I think the salary cap adds an interesting wrinkle to this whole thing because for a long time it was you draft them, they come up, they develop, and, and things of that nature. But now because everyone is right up to the salary cap and these guys are coming in at $900,000, there's a, a bit of a, a quicker process for some. And, and if you're a team like the Blackhawks who are going to forever be up against the cap because of a, a couple of the contracts they signed to guys who helped them win a few Stanley Cups, maybe having two players on entry-level deals instead of just one player on an entry-level deal becomes a, a bit more appetizing. Well, listen, you know, you're right. The one thing you can't discount and you're not going to be able to discount it until the system changes is when you can incorporate people at nine, seven, five for three years who can come in and have an impact. I mean, that is winning the lottery, literally. And the flexibility yeah. in some ways that that gives you, um, you know, on, on the other side of the coin, what I really don't like about today's system is, and I've said this for a number of years on our station, that it's almost like if you're in that 30-year-old window now and you're not looked at as an elite player, it's hard to have a job. And what really bothers me about that is that I think in so many ways it's, you know, players in that 26 to 30, 32-year-old age group who have experience and in, in a lot of ways can help lead you, and they're the glue guys that can put you over. So, yeah, but you're right. I mean, the business of today is the business of today. So there, when you're a good player, and good players are, you know, skill-wise, how they prepare – all you have to do is go to games in junior and, and other levels to indicate how fast kids can get there. Well, the leash is longer because of the price tag. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that, I mean, we, we have a pause now and everyone's working on getting back, but I, I do think a pause is good to look at a few things with how the, the system is set up. Uh, last one for you, just shifting gears uh, to a different sport. When last we spoke, uh, Major League Baseball was having a little bit of an issue with uh, mm -hmm. trying to get back, and uh, they are coming back. Um, it's not under the, the best of terms between players and owners, but there, there is allegedly going to be a baseball season this year. Uh, has your opinion changed on how all that went down? No, no, <laughs> no, I didn't bit. think it would have. No, as sour as I've ever been as sour. Yeah. And to me in so many ways, understanding at least in part, the big business of it and appreciate it and understand that people like ourselves are the reason that it is such big business and that the money is what it is. But major league baseball to me has shown me in a lot of different ways could use a little bit more awareness in terms of the gap between themselves and what's been created and people who actually play a massive role in why they have the salaries and the lifestyle that they do. Couldn't agree more, sir. Uh, Lou, this was awesome. Always fun catching up. Uh, hopefully we get to do it again soon when there's actual games to be discussing. Well, it, uh, you know, if the calendar kind of takes shape the way it is, it'll be up and upon us uh, before we know it. And to everybody listening today, um, Happy Canada Day. I, I like my country. I'm quite fond of it. And uh, 
I think we're incredibly lucky to live in the country that we are and what it provides and uh, going to be a, even a little more excited about thinking about being Canadian this year tomorrow than I usually am and that's pretty darn excited so it's a good place we need to never lose sight of it being a great place and how we can all keep it in check and and make sure it continues to be a great place and accessible and equitable for all. Excellent way to end this, Lou. Have a, have a wonderful counter today and we'll chat soon. Okay guys. Be well. You as well. There is uh, Peter Labardius joining us today on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. We shall break more. Pinder and Steinberg next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary guy and two Sasky boys talking Calgary sports Mm. here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Peter Klein, uh, Logan Gordon, and Riley Pollock with you today. We're having uh, some more technical fun during the break. Logo, are you there? I I believe the, the Calgary guy is here. Wonderful. The Calgary guy on this Calgary radio station. Uh, That's an important title to hold. Uh, Well, glad we have you back. Um, Brought it up earlier about the the in-game experience and got a few texts that we didn't get to. So thought we would uh, roll through a couple of those here. 960-960. We brought up playing music during the games and and things of that nature. Um, Someone saying, why not broadcast on a one-minute delay? gives time to have accurate crowd noise and sensor on ice chirping and the audience at home is none the wiser. I, I get where you're coming from. It would have to be like a 10 minute delay to, to be able to, to catch everything and not just eventually have the delay run out. Uh, but I, I, I do, I do think there would be a lot of pushback logo from the players. If we just mic'd things up for, um, any on ice participation we're going to hear a bit more of it if we just have regular on ice mics anyway i think if we have live mics on these guys i i don't believe that they'll be too far into that uh, apparently we, we don't have a live mic on well let's keep going here at uh, 960 960 uh, the purpose of playing music during the play is to get the crowd going with no crowd there's no benefit and I understand that point. And yes, you're not going to be playing Hell Yeah by Rev Theory to get the crowd pumped or there's not going to be uh, the the noise meter or anything like that. But I still think you would need something to break up regular puck noise and boards and so that it doesn't just sound like, you know, blades of steel or just don't, don't, don't. You're going to need a little bit more than that. Maybe play the blades of steel music. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, now I'm just getting weird. But I, I do think that you need something to, to kind of break things up again. And, and I'm interested to see, because I, I don't think the fake crowd noise really works, uh, as this person texted in. In my opinion, the majority of fans that are watching the game at home uh, are not going to care about crowd noise. They'll be more interested in F-bombs and other comments made throughout the game. In reality, it's going to bring a whole different dynamic to a hockey game. They actually may even have to put a disclaimer at the beginning of every game. Fake crowd noise um, 
fair. The game of hockey is a sport that does not need fakeness. And I, I'm with you on the, the crowd noise thing. My only hesitation on just let her rip, and I'm not normally a think about the children guy. That being said, some of these games are going to be played at like 11 in the morning. And there are going to be kids watching. It is summer, not that they were in school a ton in the last little bit anyway, but there are still going to be kids watching. I don't think you're going to want players calling each other a bleeping, bleeping, bleep uh, at, at 11.30 and having some awkward conversations with the uh, with the children in your life. So, so Logo, I don't know if just let the F-bombs fly is the, the way to go for me. I don't understand uh, the delay that Logo's got going on here. Yeah, we got a wild delay with Logo, so we will uh, we'll keep tap dancing. Uh, I don't know if that's officially a, a radio term or if that's just something I heard one time, maybe. But either way, well, we'll keep trying to to get one Logan Gordon back here on Pinner and Steinberg Sportsnet nine sixty. The fan, your texts always welcome at nine six zero nine six zero. Do want to mention this one was booked uh, as the show was going on uh but we have another guest coming up today at four o'clock dennis williams of the everett silver tips will be joining the the program today um obviously one of the prospects that a lot of flames fans are quite excited about is dustin wolf and i think that having a, a different perspective on the rise of dustin wolf will be a, a fun conversation so we're gonna have his head coach dennis williams coming on in about 15 minutes time as we try to get to know uh, a little more about one of the the flames top prospects uh, another text here 960960 talking about some of the language that we might be exposed to should the nhl just go straight hbo uh with the uh, the language someone saying kids know more four letter words than you and me Kleiner. and that's probably fair uh, i'm sure that there have been a couple of times maybe even on this text line because lord knows uh, no, not to the extent of others. I'm just not on as much, but get my fair share of the old insults hurled my way. I'm sure there have been even more, and I just didn't fully understand them. Uh, so yes, no, I, I'm sure some of the language would be. <laughs> it'd be funny. There might be some stuff in the trash talk because when I think of trash talk, and I, I think a lot of other people listening to this station, uh, those who got the Otis Nixon reference the other day, for example, might think of trash talk in a different way than it might be now. You know, like talking about the lack of character or, or toughness or something like that that an, another player may exhibit or, or different things of that nature. Now it might be, hey, your Fortnite game is subpar. That might be it now. I don't know what trash talking is like in, in 2020. Maybe things, maybe there would be trash talk I wouldn't even fully understand. So it might be, to this texter's point, it might be educational for me. I might learn a thing or two uh, about how the youth of today are trash talking. So look, it, it could be a, uh, it might be a, a bit of an educational experience. Um, it's going to sound like practice. That could be true. Someone saying, who cares about the kids? Let's just, again, let the, the language fly. But I do think it's going to be interesting to, to see how the NHL handles broadcasts in general. We've seen them try to get edgy before with a couple things. It's like, oh, wow, 
Green Day, hey? But I, I do think now you, you have an opportunity, and I think the part we're going to see it the most in is definitely when it comes to camera angles, because you're going to have an entire arena available to you. You're not going to have to worry about that. You could have a GoPro on every seat in that arena and maybe get a, a different perspective there. I don't think that's what they're going to do. That would drive a director crazy. All right, yeah, can you cut to... Uh, 1,728. Great. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Love that one. So that, that would be a bit tricky, I think. But I do think we're going to see new inventive ways to look at the sport. And that that's something that I think you have to find a balance with when it comes to these games. Because I, I talked about it before with wanting the, the World Cup format in the NBA. I just want it because I think it'd be cool. And I understand you don't want it to be super gimmicky. And you want it to be as close to, to real life as possible so that whatever champion you crown can be considered a legitimate one. But this is also an opportunity to try out some things. This is also an opportunity to see how bad would it be if we mic'd the players. Maybe you just mic the players and only the NHL can hear it. And let's just see how bad it is. And okay, not so bad. Round number one of the playoffs instead of the play-in games. Let's go. Let's do this. And, and that's another aspect of it too we kind of forget like there's an opportunity to play around with things too. Just because you do it on night one doesn't mean you have to do it in game seven of the Stanley Cup final. And just because you don't do it on night one doesn't mean you can't do it in game seven of the Stanley Cup final. So it's th this whole thing is fascinating to me, not just because of how we're going to crown champions and if we're going to get all these games in and where are they going to play and things of that nature, but also what do different leagues try? The NBA going to potentially be um painting things like black lives matter messages on, on their courts how much do you want to play around with that you're not going to dye the entire ice service a different color but i don't know it's just there, there's a whole lot of different things that you can play around with when it comes to to these broadcasts that i think would be really really fascinating and i'm i'm quite looking forward to it from a radio side there's only so creative we could be and that would be another thing. If you just mic'd up the players, we would have to get an entirely new license because there's uh, not that I've, I, I don't think I've ever done it. I don't believe I've ever swore on the air. If I did, I'm, I'm unaware of it. But if someone complains about language on a station, there's a, a bit of a process that has. So um, if you got players dropping F-bombs, I don't know how allowed that would be. I do believe we have welcomed Logan Gordon back to the program. Logo, can you hear me? I can hear you. I'm hoping I'm not 50 seconds behind the conversation as usual. No, like one no. and a half now. Yeah, that was like bang on. I, I will, I will gladly. That's better. Take. Yeah, let's just roll with it. We, why, why mess with a good thing right now? as we chatting a little bit about uh, some of our texts at 960960, talking about the uh, the different game presentation um, before we had to disconnect with you for, I believe it was the second time. Uh, someone had just said, people are going to be interested in the F-bombs. Let the F-bombs fly. I don't know if that's cool at 11 in the morning. What say you? Yeah, I, I think there's obviously a, a broadcast standard that the league has to try to uphold. So the that's that's a bit difficult. I mean, you get the occasional one if a player happens to be by a crowd mic or something like that that kind of gets you know played over the air. And I, I think the NHL still, for the most part, likes to portray a family product. You know, <laughs> yes, there's fighting and there's that sort of stuff, but I, I don't think that that's something that they're overly 
going to help, you know, promote that sort of brand for themselves. I think they want as many eyes on the TV as possible, including younger audiences. And if they kind of let the swearing flow, I don't know how many people would be okay with that. Yeah, I, I, I would be all for it. I'm completely down, but I, I do think you have to worry about how different people. I mean, you would you would get a different sort of uh, of brands wanting to advertise with you. Uh, I just don't know if those are going to be the ones that you want associated with you. Someone else texting in, John, uh, in fact, texting in, I don't know about enhancing the TV broadcast of COVID hockey. I'll be listening to the radio broadcast, the Flames games, and looking forward to be what will, uh, looking forward to what will be different in that media. Any insight to how that may change? I'm assuming there will be Fan 960 coverage. Oh, yeah. If there is any kind of sporting going on with the, the major sports, we gotcha. I'm, I'm sure it's even be thought, been thought, hey, how can we do NASCAR on the radio? Um, so, yes, I no, once, uh, one, I, I would love to try it just because, like I, I said on a, a previous wildcard Wednesday, I've done volleyball on the radio before. I would love to try to do NASCAR. I think that And would the be driver is no. taking a left hand turn, and he continues to drive left, and he's going faster. No, no. <laughs> Maybe the fights in NASCAR. That's about it. <laughs> that would also be fun to to call those. But anyway, um, yes, there, there will definitely whatever hockey is back, we'll have you covered, uh, and probably to the the maximum extent extent that we can have one covered for the the National Hockey League. But as far as, as radio goes, for for changes to the broadcast, I don't know how much more we could. Do you know? Like, um, I'm, I'm guessing mm-hmm. Wilsey and Lubo are going to be calling the games. Probably not in the the bubble. I, I can't imagine if they're trying to keep the bubbles as tight as possible. Having broadcasters in there would absolutely be the way they would want to go. And from a, a radio perspective, it would just be a couple guys calling the game. I, I don't think that we can. I, I I would love to to sit down and really think about how creative we can get with radio NHL broadcast, but I don't know how different it's going to sound from a regular experience. Yeah, I think we'll do our best to give you as much of our normal Flames content as we can with Pat doing intermissions and uh, Derek, a version of Derek and, and Lubo doing calls of the games from maybe not in the arena, you know, to give it as much of a feel as normal as possible. Maybe we're, we're able to get an arena feed uh, to Calgary and the guys are able to call it off of a monitor but still have the arena feed there so it sounds as though uh, they would be calling it you know as close to live as possible in the in the building because you're right they do want to restrict it I think we'll see a lot of national broadcasts you know a couple teams of, of broadcasters doing games for multiple uh, regions and that sort of stuff radio I think is limited in, in a number of ways and you know the innovation's only going to go so far and so i think for the most part especially when you're trying to limit people just getting as best the like the best quality product to you that we can will be first and foremost but there's going to be so much coverage when baseball comes back hockey etc you know there's going to be a lot of it here yeah no we we will have it wall to wall like as soon as anything starts playing We'll have it, and then it's going to be for as long as there are people playing. Uh, so we're going to be rolling with that. But yeah, no, I, I think I think if there could have been innovation in radio broadcast, we 
probably would have found it by now. So I think it's going to be just the regular Fan 960 coverage that you are absolutely used to. So I am... yeah, I'm I'm interested in, in all of this. I do want to touch on a couple other things because we're, we're pretty packed for the rest of the show. Um, more players, specifically Ian Desmond, was very vocal uh, about opting out uh, of baseball for the upcoming season, citing a number of different issues with, with how things are going in Major League Baseball. But it's another opt-out and, and one of the more... I guess high profile. He's still a relatively productive member. We had a couple guys on the Washington Nationals opt out the other day. We're seeing more and more positive COVID tests. It's it's going to be a weird next couple of weeks because I think a lot of the news that we're going to get is going to to tend uh, trend sorry in the the negative direction. I still think things are going to come back. I still think that we're going to have. Definitely NHL and NBA seasons, but Logo, we talked about it yesterday. This is uh, another player opting out of the baseball season. I think he's gone. And technology has opted Logo out of the rest of this segment. <laughs> yeah. He might have to come uh, into the studio for the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, look, we're not going to have these problems tomorrow. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. We will be perfect also just- tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely flawless. I can't remember the last Canada Day that I was just off because it's normally free agency day and a lot of the the heavy hitters are are normally either in on different shifts or or not in at all. We've tinkered around with the format over the last little bit, but whatever format it's been, uh, I've been lucky enough to to help out in one way or another on free agency day for the last little while. That is certainly not the case. I don't think we're going to have eight hours of in-depth WHL import draft coverage. I haven't looked at the schedule today, but I'm going to guess that that's uh, that's not the case. But yeah, little Canada Day off. I'm not I'm not gonna mind it. Weird to have a Wednesday off. I've kind of got used to this whole Monday to Friday thing after a bit. But uh, yeah, it, hopefully by Thursday we will have the technology issues all wrapped up. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, one of the top prospects in the Calgary Flames system plays for the Everett Silvertips. We'll get a bit of a scouting report for a man who sees him on a day-in, day-out basis, and that is the coach of the Silvertips, Dennis Williams, joins us next. Talk a little Dustin Wolf here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary's afternoon sports show, Pinder and Steinberg with guest hosts, Logan Gordon and Peter Klein. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Just after 4 o'clock, still a lot to get to on the program today. Welcome back to Pinder and Steinberg. I am your guest host, Peter Klein. Very pleased to be joined by our next guest. He is the coach of the Everett Silvertips. It is Dennis Williams. Dennis, how are you today? Really good. How are things? Things are pretty good. Uh, it's a little rainy and dreary in Calgary, but uh, staying inside isn't the worst thing right now. Uh, so, so no complaints here. Uh, what's the the light? Obviously, you guys would be in the off season by now anyway. But uh, what's the the day to day life of a, a WHL coach like in pandemic times? Well, part partly you're a second and fifth grade teacher, you know, for your daughters <laughs> right now, and uh, you know you're also uh, trying to keep the guys in tune, you know, and. You know, we we've been uh, we've had a few Zoom calls with them and and send out some uh, different articles and, and and sound bites and so forth. But right now, just checking in, you know, first and, first and foremost, making sure our guys and their family are healthy and doing well. So that's kind of been our our biggest concern right now is making sure the safety and the healthiness of of our players are, are good. 
Uh, we'll, we'll get into a bit of the Dustin Wolf conversation because I'm interested to hear your, your perspective of, uh, of him in a second. But just as far as what you're sending the guys, is there a lot of video study that goes on? Like, well, what, what specifically can, can some of the guys be doing right now? Hmm. Well, I think a lot of it is a lot of them have, have their own trainers. And, and some of the hard parts for us right now is our players are from all over, all over the U.S. and Canada, all through all four provinces for the WHL. So everyone's at a little different pace i guess in terms of at-home workouts some are able to go to the gym some ranks are open i know down here in, in the uh, everett area you know the arenas are not open yet so uh we have some local kids on our team too that you know they can't skate right now and so forth but really for the most part is is uh we've just been sending out again like some some articles some uh, um, uh motivational stuff right now to get through kind of these hard times and and I think sometimes we forget that it is the summertime, you know, and, and uh, these guys need to be away from the rink and have a, a, a you know, uh, a physically recharge and, and get a mental recharge and play golf and go fishing and, and hang with their buddies as well. So we try to balance that as, as much we can right now. As far as the, the season goes, obviously a very unsatisfying conclusion for pretty well everyone as uh, we end without a WHL champion, without a, a Memorial Cup champion. Um, I, I guess how is the feeling after a season that never really got to be completed? You guys on, on another tremendous role, especially a role to, to, to end the year, winning nine of your last ten heading into the most important part of the season. Yeah, like you know, like like anything, like all, all sports, you know, hockey, and you, you hear about from all, all the teams and all football, basketball, softball, whatever it may be. You know, the first initial blow was uh, disappointing. I remember, you know, telling my wife, you know, this would have been her last game of the year against Victoria. This would have been the first game of the playoffs against either Spokane or Se- or uh, Seattle. You know, kind of like going through those in your mind. And if we were to win this, we'd be starting this series. So you you kind of just really you know, sat there and played in your mind and eventually kind of bypassed. And then again, the bigger picture here is just, again, as much as, um, you know, disheartening and, and unsatisfying the finish was for not only us, but all teams and all sports was making sure that our guys have stayed safe, you know, and their families and, and their health and well-being is the number one priority. And, you know, there's always going to be an, another year, you know, to chase down a, a good season. And, and it was unfortunate this year. I, I was happy with where we were at. I was really proud of our group and, uh, but everything happens for a reason. So, you know, this is a time now for our guys to continue to get bigger, stronger and faster in the off season and, and come back a lot more uh, 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 hungrier. Well, while the, the main team awards couldn't be handed out, we still had enough of a sample to hand out individual awards. And as far as goalies are concerned, uh, Dustin Wolf won all of them <laughs> as basically any yeah. organization he ever played for named him goalie of the year. An incredible season. When you look at the numbers, it's really I mean, my goalies aren't even that good in video games, so I can't say video game like. Well, what did you see from the uh, the Flames seventh round pick this year? Yeah, you know, he really just took another big step. You know, he had an unbelievable first year, even better second year, and then this year, you know, he he came in even more determined. You know, than what if that's even possible? You know, and I say I said to our staff, he obviously was the CHL goalie of the year, the USA goalie of the year as well. I said we should just name a North American League goalie of the year and just give it to him <laughs> so that. You know, it gets it gets both awards. You know, uh, but you know, Dustin is a very uh, de- determined player. You know, he's a great teammate, but he's he he has like a, an edge and a, and a sense of of confidence and determination to to really succeed in this game. You know, and he's not going to let anybody knock him off that path. And and he's he's a great leader to our guys, not just our goalie, our our, our backup goalie, great and hold with him, but but really at the end of the day, like a lot of guys can learn from his dedication, his preparation, 
his his mental focus, his drive, and and uh, he's he's a big contributor to our group. Obviously, we uh, we wouldn't be where we where we have been without Dustin, and it doesn't surprise me, you know, though as well as how how well he's been because uh, I think coming out of the draft. You know, I, I think that gave me more motivation to be able to be drafted by Calgary to continue to prove people right and that, you know, that was a great pick and to prove those wrong that, that had him maybe slighted at, at a lower level. So he, he's very he's very determined. You mentioned leadership in there, and that's not necessarily a quality that we always associate with goalies, uh, I, I don't think. Uh, I think we think of them as, like, mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of in their own world. They're the weird guys who wear the pads who get puck shot at them a lot. Um, <laughs> but as as far as a locker room presence, has he kind of graduated to not just among his goalie circle, but guys in the room will listen when he talks? Yeah, for sure he has. And I think that's one of the, you know, things. He's not, he's not a vocal guy in there. You know, in between periods, like, he... He kind of gets reset, refocused, and you know he's a like Dustin. I, I learned, you know, from from you know prior to is is on game days, like, like that's his day. I don't even bother him. You know, he doesn't he doesn't need to come sit on 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 the meetings. You know, he does his focus. He watches his PK shot attempts against you know with our assistant Louie and 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 uh, just focus on what he needs to do to stop the puck. You know, there all the other stuff is kind of uh, just noise. You know, so he kind of goes about his stuff. But when he does talk. You know, he means what he says, and I think what happens is the the players see the passion and the care behind it as well. So it, it doesn't. He's not a yeller or screamer, you know, out of it. But there's sometimes, you know, he, he he gets frustrated. I think a lot of times when he does, he's frustrated at himself, which I think sometimes he's a little hard on himself. You know, he if you ask Dustin, he he believes he he he, could, he should stop every puck, and that's a great quality to have, you know, in, in a goalie. But uh, he is he's absolutely. I, I just think his work ethic, his determination, like. So many of our first-year players and second-year players can continue to learn from how he approaches each day, whether it's the workouts, whether it's his, his schoolwork. He was he was a CHL uh, uh, academic player of the year two years ago. So everything he does is driven to be to be the best. You mentioned he he feels like he should stop every puck. I mean, nine thirty-five. He's close, and <laughs> when he he's he's in that area the, the last couple of seasons, uh, nine thirty-six save percentage the year before, the nine thirty-five this last season. It, it would certainly look from a, a ways out like he's he's got this WHL thing down, and he's still with you guys for another year. Um, I don't want to say how do you keep him from getting complacent because you hear a lot about the the work ethic and I don't think that's necessarily a concern. But but how do you how do you keep a player growing and how do you keep that development going when it does appear like that he's kind of to to steal a video game term to, that he's kind of past this level? Yeah, you know that's a, that's a great question because you know there is uh, that light at the end of the tunnel where you know. It, at this level, a lot of guys will start thinking, I can't wait to get to the next level, whether it's the NHL or American League first, you know, and, and getting those opportunities, right? And, uh, but I, I think a guy like Dustin is, is there's one thing he still, what we still here don't have is a WHL championship and a, a Memorial Cup. And I think that's his determination still, you know, and to continue to, to want to be the best goalie, not only in the Western League, but in the Canadian Hockey League. And I think whatever league he gets into, um, he wants to leave that footprint, you know, and, and, and if you get to know him, that's exactly how, how he's kind of, how, how he's wired in it. And it's a great quality. He's, he's not satisfied, you know, and I think that's what is really going to, for this coming year, there, there's parts of his game. If you talk to him, believe it or not, that like anything, he's got to continue to get better at. I don't know how much, you know, that's our goalie coach. <laughs> the talk. I, I can tell you, I watch him in practice and, and to see him compete, 
this year, like with those type of numbers and, and the type of goalie he is, if you're to watch him practice, he plays twice as hard, twice as hard in practice. Like he, he wants the best shooters on him. He wants those backdoor one time that, you know what, the goalie maybe gets one out of 10, but he wants to get two out of 10, you know, off it. So I, I just, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's phenomenal. And I'm not concerned about a player like him, you know, as they may say, check out for a year, you know, and just kind of put, put in their time. I think, again, he wants to come back and, and be even better than when he's been the last two years. You mentioned before that he he took a step, and when you look at the numbers, it's pretty remarkable to consider that there would be improvement from from one year to the next after a great season that he had a couple years ago. Was there anything specific in his game that you noticed really did take a uh, take a step to a next level? Well, I I think really his his uh, positioning, and again, not being a goalie expert, like his rebound control was was not that it's ever been poor it's it was it was pretty on this year you know there wasn't a lot of second third chances you know and and he's uh his, his athleticism he, as he continued to get stronger he continues to get faster out there and and uh and, and and he plays the puck very well he continues to work on that he he can outlet pucks he can move pucks up on poor line changes you know and i, I don't mean it better than a lot of players like he can risk pucks up there like faster than anybody and he's a good skater so those qualities and the strengths he continues to work on, and uh, I thought they, they continued to improve throughout this whole season as well. The the knock on him and the reason that was given for him falling to the Flames at, at 214th overall is by NHL goalie standards, he, not the biggest dude. As far as human beings go, like 6'1", 165, not a small guy, but as far as professional athletes and, and NHL goalies, in a position that's trending bigger, he, he's not the biggest uh, what's your reaction when you hear comments about his size? Well, I just, I just, I, you know, there's probably the same talk when he came from, you know, Bantam Midget Hockey to the Western Hockey League. I'm sure there's the same. I, 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 I couldn't tell you what round we took him. And I know it was a little bit later in the Western League too. Right. And, and he came in the same year I came in to coach and uh, I didn't know much about Dustin, but same thing. Like I probably looked at him if I think back. Oh, well, he's just a he's just a little guy out there, you know. But I can tell <laughs> you, I I I would I would not I I would not bet against this player playing in the National Hockey League. I just wouldn't. Knowing who he is, how he is, how he's his work ethic, how he's 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 mentally built to to withstand because he, he's he, he's absolutely taking this everyone tells he's too small he's not going to play there he's not going to get drafted he is going to get drafted like there's a lot of push and pull there during that time but uh, again i just i i'll tell you i thought calgary knocked it out when they took him and especially being able to get him in, in that seventh round late there like that because like right now i i personally haven't seen a goalie and, and i i know he's he's our guy and and again, we're always the hardest on our own guys, but I haven't seen a goalie that, that plays like he has, you know, in, in a few years in this league. Uh, just doing so, some research while you're answering. Uh, he went in the fifth round, 104th overall in the WHL draft. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm I'm no draft expert. I'm going to say you're pretty happy with the value you get at 104th overall <laughs> getting the goalie of the year. Yeah. Yeah, Gary, <laughs> Gary Davidson, or GM and staff did a great job there, right? Like that's uh yeah. that's a that's a uh, that's a home, home home run, you know, through it, and and um, you know it, it's it's funny. And again, goaltenders are a little bit late bloomers too. Sometimes, you know, they're not always picked high, right off that, and and even even the path of the National Hockey League, it's 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 a little bit different than than a than a player, you know, coming up. So um, I, I I do think 
he's going to be able to get to that next level, make those adjustments because they are. They, you know, if you go to, to the American League, they're bigger, stronger, faster. Guys shoot pucks harder. Guys shoot get pucks off their sticks faster. Bigger bodies, net front. That he's going to have to work up and around screens and that. But you know, he, he's going to he's going to work. He's going to find a way. And, and I, I think at the end of the day, you're going to find in Calgary a, a very good goaltender. Well, and finding good goaltenders is not something that you guys are unfamiliar with. As we chat with Dennis Williams, coach of the Everett Silver Tips, uh, before Dustin Wolf, that Carter Hart guy was pretty good. Uh, in your first season there, uh, a 947 save percentage. Is there something in the water that, that's growing good goalies out there? Or how are you guys just, just rattling off star goalie after star goalie? Yeah, you know, again, I think a lot of credit you know, goes to, uh, like I said, our general manager, Gary Davidson, and then his staff, you know, of, of finding them and then and, 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 and recruiting them and bringing them in because they all they all have options. You know, it's not just the WHL. You got, you know, college hockey in that path as well, right? So out of it. And then, then I think a lot goes to, to the goalie coaches too. Um, you know, Shane Clifford was with, with Carter when he was here my first year. And then um, uh, James Jensen has came in and worked the last two years with, with Dustin and our goaltenders here. And I thought both did a fantastic, a fantastic job of relating to them and teaching them and coaching them, you know, through there. And uh, but it, it it has been something, you know. We've been really fortunate and and uh, uh, to have those type of goaltenders and, and world class goalies, you know. And I always say, I, I we as coaches learn probably as much from those type of players as they do from us, you know. And and uh, because they're far and few to come through those type of both uh, Dustin and Carter and and uh, I know coaching those guys, it's been a complete joy. Uh, we'll want to get into to your resume a little bit because you're pretty well traveled now. Been doing the the coaching thing for a little bit. Uh, when I, I think of hockey hotbeds, Amarillo doesn't necessarily pop into mind right away. Uh, what's <laughs> what's what's being a hockey coach in Amarillo like? Well, you know what I, I thought the same when I went there. I was coaching college <laughs> hockey prior as an as an interim head coach, and I drove to Amarillo. But ironically, when I was in in Amarillo. Um, the owner of Everett owned Amarillo as well. So I, mm. I started that Amarillo program as the head coach GM. And then uh, he bought Bloomington in the USHL. And I went there in the USHL and coached his team there. And then, so I spent four years in Amarillo, three in Bloomington under the same owner here in Everett, now three years here. Um, so wow. I kind of, I, I kind of navigate that way, but let me tell you, Amarillo was a neat place. And I'll tell you, it was great hockey, great fans, loyal fans, you know, like it was, it was, uh, it was different the first year for me, you know, going down there, I was thinking to myself, I've got to go all the way to Amarillo, Texas to coach. Like I'm from Ontario, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I wouldn't trade those experiences. It was, we made a lot of great friends there. My youngest daughter was born there. And uh, to this day, we, we still talk to a lot of people. So it's uh it, 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 it is growing. You know, they're doing a great job developing players for college hockey out of the North American League. So it's, uh, it's definitely different, though. Uh, I think as fans, we see the, the journey that coaches go on and you see the, the Amarillos and the Bloomingtons and then the, the progression of WHL, maybe American Hockey League or straight to the, the National Hockey League. Obviously, there isn't just one path to it. But for a lot of fans, a coach just kind of appears in the NHL and that's that. But there is a, a long road to, to get to that point. As far as growth and development as a coach is concerned, where where has that come for you? What do you find you, you've kind of grown as a coach in the most? Well, I, I think like, 
each each place you went, like the the probably the best advice I got was I was the interim head coach of Bowling Green State University Division One school, my, and that's where I went to school. My uh, alma mater. I was the interim coach. I didn't get it, and like anybody, I I never have not gotten a job. So that was my first blow. I was 29, 30 years old. And my best advice from a guy named Dan Cole, who's coach from Michigan State, said, you're never a coach you've been fired. You're never a player to you've been traded, is what he told me, you know, as a, as a former coach and player. And I, and, and I was kind of like, what am I going to do? And I took this job in the North American League. And, and each place I'd been, you know, presented its little challenges that you learned. And, and at the time you go through them, it felt like the end of the world was coming in certain things. And, and then you look back at it and say, man, I'm glad I went through those. And um, the, the, the part of, of my path personally is, is I would say like, it, it's like you said, it's not straight. <laughs> I've kind of kind of gone all over. So I, I, what I've been able to do is learn and appreciate where I am now, you know, when I get there and, and obviously like anybody, my goal is to get to the next level at what point or what time I, I'm not sure. You know, like, but I know there's still some things here I, I want to accomplish, you know, in terms of, of, uh, of really, you know, trying to win a championship here for the, for the fans in the city of Everett and, 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 and the county and so forth. But, um, but again, I, I, I'm pretty fortunate that for the last 10 years, I've worked for our owner, Bill Ewell and, and, and CSH. And, um, you know, I, I can't be thankful enough, but the, the, if, if you don't jump at some of these, like they always tell you, if you don't take jumps and rest, and even when I came to Everett, you know, I've been in the USHL North American League, which is pro college hockey, U.S. college hockey. I played U.S. college hockey. So, you know, when I came over here, all my buddies said, you're going to the dark side. You're going to the Canadian Hockey League, you know. But uh, it's been a fantastic experience, and it hasn't been easy here either. We started 4-9-1 and one with Carter Hart. Was He was injured, and Dustin was injured our first year when I was here and taken over for Kevin Constantine and what he'd done here for a number of years. Like, there was a lot of pressure. And when you start 4-9-1, and one, you don't have a lot of people in your corner. So, you know, we've kind of grown through those pains. Well, um, we, we appreciate you coming on today and uh, best of luck as things continue. And uh, thanks for shining some light on uh, some of the stuff that uh, Dustin Wolf has accomplished. Cause it's a player that a lot of people out here are very excited about. Yeah. And well, well you guys should be, and I appreciate the time and again, stay, stay safe. Thank you. You as well. Uh, Dennis Williams, the coach of the Everett Silvertips, joining us today, getting a, a bit of a scouting report on Dustin Wolf. And he joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. Peter Klein, uh, Riley Pollock with you. Logo, uh, take, given technology, a bit of a rest here. Uh, Riley, I still have you, though, right? I haven't you just do. been talking into you the events. You still okay, have good. me. Okay, good. That... That'd be an awful trick if I was just like thinking I was conducting an interview for the last 20 minutes and I've just been talking to myself. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you're someone who follows junior hockey uh, very closely and uh, a great passion and knowledge for it. Uh, the Everett Silver Tips goaltending has not been an issue for them over the last couple of years. And Dustin Wolf, I think, is a prospect that Flames fans can get pretty excited about. Yeah, absolutely. I watched the draft with uh, my roommate. And I told them as soon as they drafted him, I was like, this, this could be a huge pick because yes, he's six foot one, but I've seen him play before. He's been great everywhere he's gone. I actually saw him live in Kelowna this past winter and he's unbelievable. Um, I'm a huge fan of Dustin Wolf, super high on him. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm the same way. And my general rule of thumb 
if the first thing on your A pros list or B your cons list is the guy's size, I'm not here for it. Like you, you don't have a a strong case either for or against it. If the first thing is, oh well, this guy's six foot six, or ah, he's five ten. I don't know. Tell me how he plays. I. I care not for size, especially now. Like I get goalie, it's a bit different because the equipment is changing a little bit. But still, if he's athletic enough to get in the way of the puck, bring him in. I, I have no problem with size in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's definitely still a couple few years out here. I mean, he's not an instant fix for the goaltending situation in Calgary. Not sure that they need an instant fix right now, but uh, yeah, I could see him. I could see him doing some good things in four or five years here. Yeah, for sure. The, the development of goalie, it's never, never, we, we've, here in Calgary, thought we've had a couple over the years and uh, hasn't necessarily panned out. And then the undrafted free agent from the Czech Republic comes in and steals the number one job. It's it's never just straight lines with goalies, but I think Dustin Wolf uh, could have at least a bit of a path to the National Hockey League in the not too distant future. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, tomorrow was supposed to be the start of NHL free agency, but a lot of things were supposed to have happened by now that haven't. But still, I, I think it's it's worth bringing up. We will eventually have an NHL offseason, and there will be a couple big names that are available. It's an interesting time for NHL free agency with the salary cap being what it is. We will discuss and do a, a bit of an NHL free agency preview next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary's Afternoon Sports Show. Pinder and Steinberg with guest hosts Logan Gordon and Peter Klein. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. That is us. We are them. Welcome back, uh, Peter Logo and Riley Pollock back in uh, Sportsnet 960 World Control. Riley, uh, this is another day where it's just you all by your lonesome at the uh, the, the Sportsnet studios. How, how are you? We're doing all right here. The the new monitor giving me a little bit of issues now here, guys. Oh, uh, oh. It's glitching in and out a little bit. The screen's turning off for a few seconds. Uh, I can still play music out of it, but sometimes I can't see what's going on on the monitor. It's uh, It's been a bad couple days for playing music off of computers for our listeners to hear. It sounds so 960. Oh, and like, oh, now we, the, the monitor, the one thing that we need to see, we can't see out of. Yeah, and now it is, the keyboard and mouse aren't working. So good times just happened oh. right now. Yeah, so on that computer or on the main computer? On that computer, the main computer still good. We're still good over here. So yeah, um, we just replaced the mouse there. I'm the gonna other, have to. I'm gonna have to email Jeff and get a. I know that he has left the building for the day. I assume because I think four o'clock is his scheduled time. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to email him now, and I feel bad about it. Yeah, that's rough. Um, and what a way to spend your birthday too, getting getting yelled at. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you CC the uh, the beard. Uh, that. Thought I lost you for a second, logo, but you're back. Oh, yeah, we, we almost we almost lost you, but you held on there. Yeah, make sure you put the other engineers on because if you only email Jeff about something, it just like rage intensifies. So just uh, you know, little pro tip there, helping the kids out on a Tuesday on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Have you, it, it is your birthday. Have you started drinking in the studio? No, I'm, I'm just going to do, what? well, I, there's nothing in here, you know, and it's, I know that 12 o'clock shifts for most people wouldn't seem early, but I get out of bed at about 1045. So <laughs> thinking about bringing booze here, 
knowing full well that it would be accepted, um, I didn't think about it. <sighs> and it's not even like I, I drive to work either. Took a scooter to deliver, Riley. It's 2020. Yeah. yeah, but like that's where it gets to the old pocketbook, you know? I suppose. It's like but, I mean, $54 like it's for 15 beers sometimes. Well, you don't turn 15 every day. Come on here, Riley. Jeez. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Ouch. I, I like when we were talking about Riley's birthday before. Someone texted in. There's no way he's old enough to drink, uh, which I I mean, look, I, I've seen you do it. Um, so either you have a, a, a strong fake ID game or you, you are actually of age. I, I'm going to assume it's the latter there. Yeah. But uh, yes, I, I can confirm Riley's thrown a couple back. I'm near the legal age for sure. I can get I can get into Vegas bars. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm older than that, but uh, I'm not quite thirty. So somewhere in there. Okay, there we go. I I can appreciate that. Uh, NHL free agency. There's no easy way to to spin off of Riley being an alcoholic into uh, NHL talk. So we'll just. <laughs> Harsh transition. Uh, NHL free agency was supposed to be tomorrow. It was supposed to be a big day for the Taylor Halls and Alex Petrangelo's of the world. Uh, it will just be another day in pandemic for those two as uh, the NHL calendar, as with everyone else's calendar, has been flipped upside down. But I thought still on what was supposed to be the eve of free agency, we could still go through and, and discuss an NHL free agency. And I think we can't go into any of these discussions without first talking about the salary cap. According to reports, it ain't budging from 81 and a half. And looking at the, the salary caps right now, the team with the most cap space as of this moment in time is the New Jersey Devils with $8 million. Now, a lot of teams have a lot of expiring contracts, so that number is going to significantly change. But I, I do think that the market for Taylor Hall and Alex Petrangelo is going to be... I think a fair bit smaller than it would have been under normal circumstances. How much do you think COVID-19 and uh, a delay in NHL proceedings is going to affect the contracts given to those two guys in particular? Well, it's going to make a big impact on it for sure. And especially, you know, I think that there'll always be money for top free agents. I think that's never in question. I think that that's, you know, the top guys are always going to get paid and get term, especially in their prime. I think that, you know, how much outside of those guys, you know, plan B and C adding to your roster, I think those are the guys that will probably be most affected by this. But if you're going to take a run at a Taylor Hall or an Alex Petrangelo, I can't see a frozen salary cap staying at the level it's at now changing that plan drastically. What about you, Riley? Do, do you think the, the the change or lack thereof in NHL salary cap is going to see a change in some of the bigger contracts we see handed out? It might be tougher for a few guys. I mean, there's a lot of teams right near the cap that were hoping for that, you know, five, six million dollar cap raise. So it uh, it could be a big deal. But like Logo said, like the good players, their teams are going to find a way to pay them. But uh, I think the GMs might need to uh, finesse a little bit better. And we might see some of those fringe guys, you know, the more veteran guys that are maybe got two, three years left, having to go over to Europe because there's just not enough money for them. And I feel like that's been happening the past couple off seasons. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's going to be the case for sure. I, I think this this offseason, you might have a governor on, and, and last offseason we didn't see a ton of them. I don't think we're going to see a lot of stupid contracts just because you can't really afford it. There, there isn't a, a massive increase that, oh, well, we have all this money. Here's $8 million for Anders Lee, or uh, not Anders Lee, uh, Franz Nielsen. I don't know why I got those guys confused. Uh, but like, I, I don't think you're going to have these massive contracts for guys who don't necessarily deserve of massive contracts. I think the big boys are still going to get theirs, but I don't think the guys who get runner-up are going to all of a sudden throw stupid amounts of money at players that that don't necessarily deserve it. I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of those back-breaking contracts handed out this time around. So as far as Taylor Hall is concerned, he gets dealt to the Arizona Coyotes. I wonder how much success or lack thereof that the Coyotes have in the the restart will affect Taylor Hall and what decision he makes. Logo, do you think that the the potential success of the, the Coyotes has any effect on Taylor Hall, or is he as good as gone whenever free agency starts? I think Taylor Hall's had enough of a tough run that um, I think Arizona might be a contender to keep him. But, you know, I think he probably had things going a little bit better than they did in New Jersey. Uh, although he won an MVP there, they haven't been very successful. Um, obviously, things haven't gone great with the Coyotes yet. And I don't know how much of a Stanley Cup contender they are at, that, at this point right now. So I, I think free agency is coming at a time for Taylor, uh, for Taylor Hall excuse me, where he has a chance to get paid and get term because of the prime and the age that he's in. But he also gets a chance to maybe pick his destination a bit if winning is a top priority for him because he hasn't done a lot of that since he came into the league. Yeah, he, he's been certainly been on many more teams that have won draft lotteries than, than teams that have won playoff games. And yeah. for a player of his caliber, that has to be incredibly frustrating. I, I don't know uh, if he's going to be one of those guys who can make much more w with a strong playoff performance. But Riley, do you think if he is seen as one of those guys who carries the Arizona Coyotes on his back to a, a round or two of the, the Stanley Cup playoffs, maybe that boosts the contract for Taylor Hall? Or do you think he's going to get what he's going to get regardless of how the, uh, the the COVID Cup goes? I think he's getting paid no matter what. Um, yeah. Whether it's in Arizona or not, I think he's getting paid. And, you know, there's been quite a few reports that have said that Hold on a sec. Like a lot of people thought he was leaving Arizona, but there is uh, there's a chance he stays there, and it it could depend on them making a run or not, or maybe you know they lose in the first round, and all of a sudden Arizona gets that first overall pick, and it's a little bit more enticing for Taylor <laughs> Hall to uh, have Lafreniere in the top six with them. So there's a lot of uh, factors in there, but I think Taylor Hall gets his money no matter what. Well, how many guys actually reach free agency that have to have a heart trophy on their resume? Uh, the answer would be not many. And off the top of my head, can't uh, to Tavares have a heart trophy? He feels like a guy who would have a heart trophy, mm. but I don't know if he has one or not. Um, anyway, we'll get uh, we'll get stats and info on that one. But yeah, no, that that's that's an excellent point, and, and he is someone who, I mean, that New Jersey Devils team had a lot of talent on it. But that wasn't a team that was really knocking on the door for the playoffs really before that trade happens. And he carried them. And I think he has that reputation as someone who can like really turn the, the fortunes of a franchise around. I get the Edmonton thing 
didn't necessarily go great, but I don't think a lot of people really pin that on him, although I'm sure some do. Um, but no, I, I think this is an and, extremely and talented player. Yeah, and I, I just want to add to that. I wonder if Taylor hasn't gotten to the point where he's done so much losing in his career and not all by, you know, uh, to blame him or anything like that. I wonder if right. he doesn't take top, top of the market price uh, to go somewhere where he could be a little bit more successful and give them some cl- some cap flexibility. I'm not saying he's going to take a, a pay downgrade by any means or something like that, but maybe instead of, you know, 10 million a year, he takes eight somewhere so that that team can be successful and he can hopefully be on a, a contending team because he's done a lot of losing in the league. That, that was going to be my next question. He, he's making six right now, spread between two different franchises. Uh, where where do we see that dollar figure coming in? You, you mentioned kind of the, the 8 to 10 range. Is that, what were those just numbers you threw out, or do you think that's where we're going to see Taylor Hall end up? Question was so good, he's speechless. Um, so we'll, we'll effort uh, getting Logo back once again. And while Riley's dealing with that, I won't make him also answer questions uh, about Taylor Hall. We'll just get Riley to do the the producing part right now and get his super hot Taylor Hall takes in a moment. Someone texting in. um, If Taylor Hall doesn't end up in Calgary, I'm going to be so pissed. And this is certainly a player that has been tied to the Calgary Flames, if by no one else, then Calgary Flames fans. And whenever we have any type of discussion really about anything when it comes to the Calgary Flames, whether it be and whether it be what this team does in the offseason or anything along. We could be talking about Dustin Wolf and, hey, what do you think about Taylor Hall? A subject that is front of mind for a lot of Flames fans. He is from Calgary. He is someone who... I mean, hockey fans in this province are very familiar with. I, I don't know if it's a fit. Uh, dollars and cents wise, I think it would be tough to make work. Uh, Logo, we we have you back once again. What about the fit, Taylor Hall, with the Calgary Flames? People text in about it all the time. What what do you believe on the uh, the, the Taylor Hall front? I think from a, a player standpoint and uh, the type of you know goal scorer and impact player he can be, I I can absolutely see him being a fit here and a successful. Uh, member of the Calgary Flames. I think he'd fit nicely in the, with the core. He's right around that age group, uh, which is a really strong one here in Calgary. I don't know how you make it happen financially, especially with the cap not going up. Uh, there's just too many other players here that are you know, in the line to get paid. Matthew Kachuk didn't get as long a deal as they hoped. Uh, I just don't know that you can fit him in financially. Yeah, that, that would be... Look, hockey-wise... It makes all the sense in the world. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. fits, I think, exactly a need that the Calgary Flames would have. So from that vantage point, I totally get it. This team has $990,000 in salary cap space right now. They have a couple contracts off the books, but not not enough that it would be, okay, well, let's go get this guy, and we'll just figure out, you know, half of our top four on our blue line later. I, I just... Unless big moves are made, which they could, realistically, if we, we've talked about it before, if this play-in round doesn't go well, there's a couple of big contracts that could be on their way out. 
just uh, again no inside information on that just purely speculation but if you move a couple of those then maybe but i just i i, do, I don't see a fit taylor hall with the calgary flames money wise no no and I, I look this is taylor hall is not troy brower and he's not james neal and i i don't see it going the way that those two contracts did for the flames but I would just add that Brad Treliving's best work or some of his best work has come in trades and moving assets mm-hmm. for other assets and making his team better that way. I would rather them go that direction to change things up than go to the free agent route. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you on that. I, I don't I don't see this being a, an off season where the Flames are overly busy on the the free agency front. Just um, top of your head, any places you do see Taylor Hall being a, a fit i mean again hockey wise he fits in almost anywhere but in terms of finances and, and things of that nature is there a team that just screams taylor hall to you i don't know that a team needs him or could use more of him more than the team he's on right now and the fit in arizona i mean we i like that they went out and did something they made a move to go out and and get better and, you know, not just stay stagnant all the time. So I think for me, the team that that screams the most for Taylor Hall would probably be where he's at right now with Arizona. Yeah, I do wonder, and I've been saying this, I was saying it during the trade sweepstakes for him before he goes to Arizona, who kind of came out of nowhere. So maybe they come out of nowhere again with this whole discussion. Colorado's got a bunch of cap space and they're, they're going to have a couple very big contracts to worry about in a couple seasons, but that's a couple seasons from Mm -hmm. now. I wonder if they get creative and just go Miami heat, golden state warriors. Like, yeah, sure. We have one of the best top lines, the NHL. Let's add another one of the top forwards in the league as well with Taylor Hall. I, I wonder about that one as well. It's an interesting one. And they were certainly a name to watch when all of this was happening. I, I do. I think you got to worry about the contract that Kale McCarr is playing himself into because that's going to be a monstrous deal. Uh, yeah. I also think for Colorado, I like what they have up front. I would almost prefer that they put some money into the back end and really uh, solidify some pieces around Kale McCarr. I don't think they need a forward. It certainly looks good, and you know you're pretty damn dangerous if you add Taylor Hall to that lineup already and. Seeing him and Nathan McKinnon skate around would be terrifying for every other team, but I, I think there's money better spent in other areas if you're Colorado. I mean, look, don't need offense if you're scoring six goals a game. Come on now. Uh, but no, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess so. Anyway. <laughs> uh, another, I mean, the Rangers are always active in free agency. They, they have a bit of money to play with. The Jets will have a bit more money, but as we've discussed before, maybe they'll be looking more towards the blue line. And hey, wouldn't you know it? There's another defenseman who's available. Uh, Alex Petrangelo is, uh, I would suggest, the other big apple of the eye of general managers uh, heading into this offseason. He, he's a guy who, if he leaves St. Louis, it's going to be weird for me seeing that dude not in a, a St. Louis Blues uniform, being with them for a number of playoff runs, and then most recently, all the way to the Stanley Cup. Riley, if, the, if this is a guy who ends up on a different team, it's not going to be Tom Brady to the Bucks, but it's going to look pretty weird, I think. Sorry, I was uh, cutting some stuff. Who are we talking about here? <laughs> I love that I was talking about this exact <laughs> scenario during the break, about how I'm worried about throwing the producer when he's actually doing his job. 
and I um, and I, I make him do something that he wasn't ready for. Well, uh, we're talking about Alex Petrangelo. Oh, uh, he is he the top defenseman? Do you think that's available in this UFA class? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he is for I, me. I still view him. Yeah, I still view him as one of the the top defensemen in the NHL. And as I was saying, he, he's one of those guys because he's been so good for so long. It'll look weird if he's not in a St. Louis Blues uniform, won't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think they'll probably do everything they can to. Uh, keep him around on that blues team but if they make another run there's going to be uh there's probably not going to be a lot of money left there either so i'm sure petrangelo would take maybe a bit less to stay with uh st louis but my first instinct is that he sticks around yeah and logo that's kind of where i'm at too where maybe just because i associate him with the blues so much i just assume he's going to stick around they are going to have to get a little creative cap-wise because they have, uh, at this moment in time, $20,000 in cap space. So um, not a ton of flexibility. But um, do you have a lean either way as to, to where uh, whether you see Petrangelo returning to the Blues or not? I feel like for sure that he's he should be a Blue for life, and I'd like to see that sort of thing. I wonder, though, I mean, they've made so many other moves, and I think that you know, keeping your captains a priority, but at the same time, you always have to be adapting and trying to be the best team that you can be. And look, the the guy was a huge part of a Stanley Cup run for the team for the first time in a long time, and uh, he hasn't been a, a top-tier paid player for a long time in this league. And I think that there's something to be said about him deserving to get paid for the work that he's put in with that franchise. And maybe they just can't, hold on to him. I, I'm not as sold as you guys are that he's staying in St. Louis. I, it'd be nice if he did, but I'm not as sold that uh, he's going to be there next season. Well, and there's, yeah, I, go ahead. Riley. Another thing is that they don't have much coming off the books. Right. Um, Troy Brower at 700. They, they have to make room for him. Yeah. Jacob Della Rose yeah. is an RFA and Vince Dunn's also an RFA. That's it. So he's getting paid six and a half this year. And there's, just under three mil coming off the books besides him. So that's, and they only have $20,000 in projected cap space at the end of the season. So yeah, they're going to have to either sell somebody or it's going to be tough. Well, and you, you look at the contracts they have. Scandella is getting a raise uh, from 2 million to 3.275. And Justin Falk, who they acquire, um, is getting a raise of almost $2 million. And it does kind of feel, you look at that right side, uh, you have Pareko and Falk already. Maybe with Justin Falk being brought in, the writing was on the wall that the, the captain of the St. Louis Blues is not necessarily long for the Blues. And we've talked about teams that have a need on the blue line. Logo, this is going to be, I think, a very, very coveted player if he does end up on free agency. I, I think the list of suitors for a guy like Petrangelo would be long. I at, at 30, obviously, I think the, the list of teams that are willing to give him a long-term contract will be less, and maybe that's part of, you know, the problem with St. Louis is, you know, giving a guy at 30 years old a long-term deal isn't always the best way to do it. But, I mean, uh, the team that I've, I've thought about so much about Petrangelo, like, if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins and you can oh, find Lord. a way to get him onto your blue line, 
uh, as you you know try to get the last few good years out of the Malkin Crosby duo, a guy that's one and can lead your blue line from back there. Like, wouldn't that just be a nice fit in on that blue line to help them going forward? Oh, that'd be incredible. Yeah, that, that I I like that one a lot. Um, I like the Winnipeg fit too. Um, as they have the Dustin Bufflin mm-hmm. contract that, that's coming off the books. I like that one. And Petrangelo is one of those guys where I, I get the, the trepidation. You don't want to give big money to guys in their 30s, uh, especially guys who log big minutes. And it's a couple deep playoff runs for Petrangelo. Obviously, the last one, um, certainly the deepest. But there's one that's 20 games, another one that's 11 games. He's getting up toward 800 games played in the National Hockey League. Those are not easy games that he's played either. But I, I, he strikes me as a guy who keeps himself in good enough shape that you can kind of, if you're paying him for six years, you're getting probably four real good years out of that. And then the last two are going to be whatever and probably not worth the money. But I, I think I'm willing to take that risk for an Alex Petrangelo. Yeah. And look, the money thing for me, if I could get him on a shorter deal, uh, that winds up paying him a little bit more, you know, like a three or four year contract, something like that. I'd, I'd be okay with paying him. Like paying him is not going to be the issue. It's the, the term no. and everything else and the, you know, bad spot you can put yourself in in, in that situation because I, I don't think this guy's done. I think he's just emerging as a, a top flight defenseman and I think he's still got a, probably a few really, really all-star plus caliber years still left in him for sure. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, he, he's currently making six and a half million. I don't know if we're talking about a guy who gets into the ten million dollar range, but I, I think he's getting a bit of a pay raise from six and a half. What about you, Riley? Yeah, I'd say so. It's uh, I think it's time to get paid. Um, yeah, ten, ten definitely a little high, I think. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, I mean, it, it could be close. I don't know if it'll be that high, but depends how much someone has, how much they want to pay for him. And he's a good player if you pick him up. So, yeah, not quite 10, maybe a bit higher than six and a half, though. Yeah, I, I would say that as well. Um, before we, we get to five o'clock, I do want to touch on a couple Calgary Flames. Uh, I think the, the two biggest would probably be on the blue line with TJ Brody and Travis Hamanick. And there was a time where any suggestion of bringing TJ Brody back to the Flames would have uh, come with a great deal of criticism from the text line at 960-960. But I think he's played his way into the good graces of a lot of people. Um, I think t- this year has been a real big turnaround season for him. And I, I would not be surprised if TJ Brody is in a Calgary Flames uniform at the beginning of next season. Logo, where are you in terms of TJ Brody coming back to the Flames? I'm, I'm not as sold on it. Um, I, I do think that, that while TJ Brody has been better, so much of his success has been dependent on Mark Giordano and being on a, a good pairing with him. And I think that, Rasmus Anderson, in my view, has started to pass him in some in some categories, and I think could be the the next logical pairing uh, with Mark Giordano, and that's kind of what we've seen at, at points over the last little while here. And for me, 
if it comes down to a Brody or a Hamnick situation here where you're only keeping one of the two, I, I find that Hamnick brings other things that this team lacks, some of that toughness, that you know, really physical player on the back end. There, there's not much of that from the Calgary D, and I think that you want a guy that's able to succeed in in more pairings and in more situations than TJ is, and that's not to say that TJ is a bad player, but you know, if he's got to be attached to the hip at, at, with number five in most situations to be successful, I'd, I'd rather spend that money elsewhere and on a guy that can play in different situations. So do you think if there's no Brody, is, is Hamannick back or, or where, where are you on that? I don't think that we're, I don't know that we have that answer yet because of the guys that they, they brought in and the guys that are in the organization. I mean, we've gone this entire season without, the Valimaki situation, who knows? We think he's already at a top six level. So where do you put him? Uh, Eric Gustafson and Derek Forbert, you know, only played a handful of games. Are, are they a piece of the blue line moving forward? I think both of those guys could come in at, at decent value deals for Calgary, for NHL defensemen, uh, if you're looking for some value on the blue line. So, I, I mean, I could see one of the two coming back maybe, but I, I don't think it's a guarantee. Yeah, it's interesting to look at the the Flames, and when we were approaching the trade deadline, you you look at, okay, well, need to add a bit of depth on the blue line, and then they do that, and now it's, you know, maybe there's a lot of depth on this blue line, Mm -hmm. and especially with guys like Valimaki coming in, potentially, um, you you don't know where he's at recovery-wise and things of that nature, but I... Yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth on Brody and Hamannick. I'm I think I lean more with you on Brody, where a, a lot of the the good times he's had have been with a, a Mark Jordan. Or if I don't know, I don't know if he's a real driver, but I do think he's cut down on a lot of the mistakes and a lot of the issues that we have seen from him over the last little while. So I'm. I really go back and forth on that. I, I thought at the beginning of the year, Hamannick was a bit of a lock, but I, I think this year was kind of a, a down year for him. So. I I don't know. If neither guy ends up back with the Flames, I think they'll have to do something. But I, I won't necessarily be absolutely stunned either. Yeah, I, I think, and honestly, with a flat salary cap like this, um, both, being, uh, both finding a new home in free agency is probably more likely than it's ever been at this point. I think, yeah. I think Hamannick stays and... Brody walks personally. That's just my gut feeling. I, I think Hamnick gives you things that, that Brody doesn't and that the rest of your decor doesn't. I think Hamnick is is the guy if it's home if it's Hamnick Brody conversation. With with Hamnick, how much of a concern do you have uh, around injuries? And I'm not saying he's necessarily a, an injury pl- prone player or anything like that, but he does play a very hard style. And if there's someone who needs to be defended, he's in there doing the defending. Um, how much of a concern do, do injuries play in for a, a Travis Hamannick? Not, not too much for me because I don't think Hamannick's getting a long-term deal one way or the other. I mean, maybe if he gets to free agency and someone's, uh, you know, really big on him, maybe you could see him pushing a four or five-year contract. But I think if it's with the Flames, you're talking maybe three, maybe, maybe four at the max. I, I can't see them committing to anything more than that. So at just 29 years of age, he's been able to bounce back from it. I know he's got hard miles on it, and I, I can understand why that's something that you, you worry about. But at the same time, I don't think that you're going to be committing too many years to, to Travis Hamnick anyways. 
Uh, text at 960960. Hamannick works his ass off. The type of guy you win with, and he shows he cares. Unlike Brody, who has zero emotion. And look, um, I, I think it's not a dangerous game, but I think you can make a lot of mistakes by just how you see a guy carry himself on the ice and you make assumptions as to the compete level. I, I don't think there's any question about the, the compete level for a, a TJ Brody, but uh, for, for Travis Hamannick, he, he certainly has that edge to him that not a lot of guys on this team has, and he certainly plays uh, a style that not a lot of guys play. So I, I think that would be a bit of a loss for the Flames. But as we talked about before, it, it's Petrangelo on the blue line. Uh, Tori Krug is, is still in need of a contract, I believe, from the, the Boston Bruins. But there are a lot of teams that could use defensemen who are right in that 3 4 $5 million range. I, I think these guys could be relatively coveted out, out in free agency. It's that that's a market that I think is going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. The decor is always interesting. And um, I think that there's, you're right. There's a number of those guys that kind of fit that uh, middle tier of defensemen this year. So uh, there's usually only a couple that, you know, I put Petrangelo probably ahead of most guys other than Krug, but I think, I think Krug's likely to stay in Boston as, as things go. So if you're looking to add to your blue line and not spend, Top tier money. This is a, a pretty interesting free agent class for you. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. So that that's what we we would be looking at uh, if the NHL calendar was normal. But as we know, it certainly isn't. We will get a bit of an update on, on how things are going as we chatted with Chris Johnston a little bit earlier today. We'll hear that conversation coming up as we, we go into the CBA, some hub city discussion, some draft lottery. We cover it all. Uh, cover it all with our NHL insider Chris Johnston next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.